and despite the sweat of lawsuits because of your cause and your letters and your phone calls and your telegrams and your emails and because of the vociferousness of this audience because you said DCW because you always give us a second chance that show will be carried live on You are old, Terry Funk. You are a has-been, and you were washed up. But what infuriates me worst of all is you're so old, you could be my father. And I hate my father. And every time I get you in a ring, I'm going to beat you. And I'm going to hit you like that old man did to me. Like that abusive bastard did to me when I was a child. My father beat me, Terry Funk. And I'm going to beat you the same way. setting up that ladder. It's up in the ceiling. He drops the leg from the ceiling. Connor! He got it! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to February of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Four volumes for this month, Volume 1 takes the WCW, looking at Super Bowl. Volume 2 takes the WWF, looking at In Your House Final Four. And Volume Number 4 takes us to the UFC, looking at UFC 12. We're here in Number 3 to look at ECW, including Cyberslam. We're joined first by Peter Kimber. Pete, hello. Hey, Bob, how are you, okay? I'm very well indeed. And good evening to Del Del, hello. Hi, Bob. Nice to be back. Uh, we we would start with the news, but there isn't really that much. There's no real point in even creating a segment out of it. The only real story of the month, beyond a few other smaller stories that I'll probably pick off during the show, um, is that Raw or EC, Raw goes extreme this month as ECW played a significant part in the final episode of Raw of the month. Essentially, because Raw moved to from a one-hour. Uh, taping per week to a two-hour taping per week, they didn't have enough time to tape all the shows um, throughout the month so to create an extra taping on the 24th. Of course, there was a problem given that most of their roster was already booked on a tour of Europe. They had an extra show to fill, so they called in Paul Heyman. It created the show that we're going to we we did review on Volume Two. And we're also going to have quite a look at detail here from the ECW side of thing here in uh, in volume number three at the end of the show as well. Um, but yeah, a very bizarre thing, and we'll talk through that at the end. Other than that, nothing major on the news front. There was a, a segment that uh, happened at the start of the first live event of the month, the one of the two that we're not covering, um, which wasn't even taped for television or for video, which was Paul Heyman hosting what was described as a private love-in between the ECW roster and the fans ahead of their pay-per-view in two months' time. They had all the baby faces in the ring and all the heels up in the Eagles' nest and Heyman basically went through them one by one and told them all they're great, etc., etc. That bit never made it to air. Uh, the only other thing of note surrounding the pay-per-view is that what has changed, viewers' choice aren't carrying the pay-per-view, which is one of the big major providers. Um, and it's also said that certain things have been changed off the back of them trying to get onto pay-per-view. 
issue. For example, one of the things that was, was mentioned was the violence against children um, or just the depiction of children in certain angles. And so as you kind of see this month, the whole thing involving Tyler Fullington kind of just disappeared. Uh, well, he joined the BWO. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, but which, which in many ways is more violent than anything he was doing before. But that's, that's all that. Other than that, Nothing really major. So, uh, Pete, any any quick comments on? I, I know you've read all the news. Anything else that stands out? I don't think I missed anything of note. I think maybe Shane Douglas's injury, maybe causing a few issues at the moment. Maybe obviously the storylines with the pit bulls and that. But apart from that, no, pretty much. Yeah, the um, Douglas is out. I think until mid March. So I don't think it will affect his pay per view match. But they have had to kind of book around that. Del, same question. No, I think we've pretty much covered them. The, the only thing I would mention, especially with relation to, to Tyler Fullington, he was probably involved in my image of the, my, image of the, image of the year thus far in this. So whatever they're doing, they're doing it right. Oh, there we go. So, three TV shows to review. There is a Three TV shows to review. There is a fourth. Um, but the fourth includes all the stuff, that some of the stuff that happens on CyberSlam, which we're going to cover as well. You know something, Gary? Pitbull number one. I've got a beef to pick with you. ECW has come down so hard on me. The voice of ECW, Joey Styles, has week in and week out spoken so dirty about the franchise and Francine, about all the things we did to poor little Gary Wolf. What about what Gary Wolf did to my reputation? You know, Gary Wolf, before all this happened, I had an impeccable reputation in this sport. Nobody questioned the veracity or the background of the franchise. Everybody knew what I said I meant, and they knew they could take my word as gospel. Oh, but not anymore. No, anymore. It's, he's the guy that broke Gary Wolf's neck. Didn't matter that just seconds before he took a sweet 117-pound woman and got her slammed through a table, super bombed. Like he would do to any other man. That doesn't count. I don't hear Joey Styles or ECW talking about that. No. It was that the franchise broke his neck. Nobody said a thing about. He came into the ring and attacked me with a halo around his head. I call that stupidity. I covered my ass. I protected myself. But I'm the bad guy for it. <laughs> so Gary Wolf. When you talk about settling scores, remember, there's a score that's going to be settled from this side as well. And I can't wait to watch you cart it off in that ambulance and knowing that they're going to put those screws in your head one more time. And Gary Wolf, if I'm lucky, <laughs> this time, the next time I see you in ECW Arena, you'll be being wheeled in permanently. You'll have a friend named Christopher Reeves. <laughs> We start with Paulie in the ring with the ECW faces and the heels by the hard camera at the Eagle's Nest. They do tape a little bit of it at the start, but we don't see much of it. He says WCW, who are running a show in the area a couple of days later after the pay-per-view, won't be able to compete with ECW's main event for the show, Taz against Sabu. Heyman says there's a lot of rumours on the internet, but the show will be live to the whole fucking world. Not particularly sure that's true. Um, but because of the fans battling the providers, the show will be carried live on pay-per-view. Ricky Morton is now out there with his girlfriend, and here comes the BWO. The fans don't really care for Morton. Fortunately, the BWO are pretty well received, and the blue shirts, which there are quite a few, stand out quite well in the crowd. Morton kicks out of a powerbomb, but Stevie hits, his be hits the best Super King in wrestling for the three count and the clean win. They offer Morton's woman a BWO shirt, and she accepts it. 
Get a promo from Shane Douglas, the usual Douglas stuff. Douglas says, nobody said a thing about Gary Wolf stepping into the ring before Douglas threw into the mat. I would add that I did, Shane, um, but nobody else did. He calls that stupidity. Douglas says, if he's lucky, the next time he sees Wolf in the ECW arena, he'll be there permanently on wheels and he'll have a friend in Christopher Reeves. <laughs> Next up is Dr. Death Steve Williams with a two minute squash win over Axel Rotten. Afterwards, he gets confronted by Raven, who tells him to take the belt if he wants it. Williams takes him down, and Gordon makes a match for the title right now. Raven comes off of the open with a leg drop through a table. Williams moves. Raven hits the superplex from the second rope, and then out come the BWO with Tyler and Laurie in BWO gear. Looks like they got Tyler in what can only be described as a medium men's shirt. Raven and Stevie tussle. Richards goes down. Dr. Death press downs Raven onto Mevy and Nova. Richards offers Williams his BWO shirt and rips it up. Richards, Stevie kicks him. Dr. Death goes down and gets straight back up. So Stevie hits the second. Williams gets back up. Ducks a third one. Richards hits a third one and the Raven dies into the ring and wins the match. I reckon that was the first time that Williams have been pinned on American soil. They send about 10 years, although I think Dave Meltzer later clarified it as 8, but it has been a while either way. The main event is Stevon Dudley against the Sandman. This is exactly as you'd expect, a ringside brawl that includes Sandman suplexing a table into the ring post, but not not once, but twice, as he attempted to dump it onto Devon. And I'm not making that up. Sandman wins with a leg drop, and here's Joel Gertner. He calls Sandman the ambassador of the extreme and a hardcore icon. By a score of 4-2, to two, I call the winner Devon Dudley. Salmon hits Gartner with a cane. Devon hits Salmon with a cane. Out comes Bubba and Spike. Bubba hits Salmon over the head with a chair. The Dudleys have a face-off. Spike goes to attack them both, which works well until it doesn't. Devon sets up a Bubba cutter for a nice double-team move, and Salmon is on the receiving end of a series of blows. And here come the gangsters. The ring ends up covered in weaponry, but the Dudleys finish things on top. Uh, Del, quite the eventful first show uh, of the month. Pick your way through any and all of that. I am I am very happy to be back. The the very first words that I've picked in, in my notes, Bob, is I have missed Paul E. Um, as you said, unluckily we didn't get the the full kind of almost roster interview in the ring with Paul E. We are the the baddies up the East Coast Nest and all the good guys in the ring. It looked epic for the the kind of sixty ninety seconds that we got. The the matches are still as you'd very much expect. I thought Doc looked pretty decent considering the. The age of Steve Williams these days, he is getting on a bit, but he still looks pretty decent. Stevie's still, as you say, got the best, the best kick in the business. If only he was going into a federation for there's one of the major stars, makes a bit of a name off that move and then just gets roundly trounced by an up-and-comer. Uh, we'll probably come on to that a bit later on the show. Other than that, I think they're, they're doing things pretty well. Pete? Moments of the uh, of the first show was um, the blue mini showing his tits to the crowd when they were giving that chant, which was quite amusing. Um, yeah, pretty much a very action-packed show for the first of the month. The usual brawl around the ring, two steady wear job. I quite liked um, Williams as a bit of a, a different. I know he was in. Was it Doctor? Is in? Is that ninety-five when Steve Williams was last in ECW? Is that right? Oh, uh, I, I um... is that right? Or was it? I'm so sure if he's ever in ECW, maybe he was. No, the Doctor's oh, yeah. show, I think you're talking, I don't think it's that long, I think it's maybe six, eight months. Doctor was in was last year, I don't think he was yeah. on that. 
Oh, right, okay. But it's good to see something a little bit different with, obviously, Raven and just taking away from the Sandman and, and Tommy Dreamer. So um, it's good to see him lose, I suppose. Obviously, I don't know how he managed to get that loss on his, uh, his lost column, but very much typical ECW. Having watched a lot of WWF races, quite nice, as Dale probably said, to have a look at this different, completely different uh, style and, uh, and Paulie. I think it's a shame to take that and release it at some point to us. I think it would have been a great thing to see the whole, you know, um, tribute to the to the troops almost, isn't it, from Paulie? But, you know, obviously we're never going to see it. Obviously it was his own little love into the crowd and to ECW, but shame that for me. Yeah, they're uh, you know I guess they don't do it very often, and sometimes you got to you want to do things like that just to just to make a point to the the, the loyal fans, and in part the, in part that what's this, that's what this paper is all going to be about. It's going to be about the the fans that have been with them since day one. You know, Terry Funk's back, and they're building up his his run, and they've got a lot of the guys that have been there for quite a while now. And I think you know as much as success for them is. Range, ranging as far and wide as they can and also to a point success for them is just saying thank you to the guys that have been with them from the start um, so so that's that yeah this is a good show um, you know I think it, you know, the, the way ECW taping schedules work you can tell that you know the, the, the TV immediately after an event is generally pretty hot because they've got a lot of really interesting things to get through and then as they get further and further away from that show they get less and less stuff they can use and they start building towards future shows but yeah this was good i like the angle with the dudleys at the end i think the the dudleys are a little bit like the rotten brothers in that really you either feud them or you pair them there's no real interest in them against anybody else um and as has been the case with axel rotten who's now a kind of undercard act um you know that was an interesting angle it's another tag team at a time where they don't necessarily need tag teams but I, I'd be a little bit concerned for the medium term future, I'm kind of expecting the Eliminators to get signed up by the WWF at some point in the next six months, so they need to be prepared in that sense, and it's another team I think it's an example of where a team is greater than the sum of its parts I'm thinking in the Dudley's case, that's probably the case as well, we move on to show number two, where with a montage of the best of Tommy Dreamer stuff from the past couple of years, I must say it's amazing to look back on the night where Dreamer takes all the cane shots and how much more of the crowd looks about half of the depth opposite the hard camera as you're used to seeing these days. Should be said that one report this month said that they reckon they were planning for over 2,000 people in the ECW arena, which just seems, for the pay-per-view, which just seems impossible. Because every time they seem to find more and more space for people, even though it just makes no sense, because the arena is not sentient. It doesn't grow and shrink in size. But apparently, they're going to look for more and more people, but we'll see. Um, I'm not being critical of these video packages. They're useful. When they clock in at six minutes, you know they've not got a lot going on tonight. On a theme of filling time, we get a rerun of the end of the Doctor Death and Raven, or should that be Doctor Death and Stevie from last week? Seems like they're trying to build up the idea that Richards' super kick could be capable of costing or winning the title. We then get Tommy Rich against Terry Funk, which starts in the crowd. 60 seconds in, and Rich has already bladed. We only see highlights of this, but it doesn't seem like there's much of anything beyond the fans repeatedly shouting, You fat fuck at Rich. Funk wins with the spinning toe hold. We then get another promo from Funk. And in my notes, I simply got written, There's fuck all chance he's not winning the title in April. Is there? The new Dudley Brothers team are out in the streets of Philly late at night for a promo. They're a new public enemy. They're looking for the gangsters. A debuting Lance Storm compete with a short back and size and ridiculous ponytail haircut. <laughs> <laughs> the with a spin kick from the top. 
Raven says that Terry Funk should have the decency to buy us all another round if he's going to bore us with his war stories. We finish with extended highlights of Van Damme and Sabu versus the Eliminators. It's difficult to tell, but they do seem to be observing tags, which is always a novelty. Van Damme puts Sabu in a surfboard. Sabu comes off the top. Uh, Sabu sat in a surfboard. Sabu comes off the top with a jumping something for a near fall. A jump cut and Sabu launches a chair into the Eliminators' corner. We get a lovely front and back sidekick superkick combo on Sabu. We get a table and a ladder involved. Sabu, Saturn climbs the ladder. Sabu jumps off of the top rope and kicks Saturn onto Cronus. It's horribly contrived, but both Sabu and Van Damme climb the ladder so the Eliminators can hit a total elimination. I'll give them a pass on that just about as they look really cool. The table ends up with the ladder on top of it. Sabu vaults on, onto the top rope and spin kicks Saturn off the table. The finish is, this finishes with a total elimination on Van Damme and Eliminators retain. We end with Taz running out, putting Van Damme in the Taz mission and showing San, Sabu, Sandman, showing Sabu what lies ahead for him. Sabu eats a total elimination and Taz cuts a big promo to end the show. Uh, Pete, it, it was a, a flat show for the large part, but saved by about 70% the bits we saw of a fantastic looking match yeah the, the um, Eliminators Sabu and Van Damme clearly are, are, are paired up superbly well in, in the match and I think you're right by, by observing the tags was an interesting ploy because normally he's going to get high spot, spot festivals throughout the whole, whole match but actually it worked quite well um, Tommy Rich and Terry Funk was an interesting way of getting Terry Funk's build up to the pay-per-view. Your comment there, <laughs> not winning the title in April, was a strange person to have uh, up against Terry Funk to keep this sort of, you know, revival of Funk going. It was a bit of a strange one. Obviously, bladed immediately, very much. So they didn't seem like a very um, a good opponent for Funk to, to go up against when he's building up this massive, you know, comeback. But yeah, a bit of a flat show. I like the, the Dudley boys. You're right. I do like from what they're doing now they are pretty much the Rotten Brothers with a slight twist but I think they'd probably Public Enemy with a new twist sorry my apologies Public Enemy Um, but I quite like the fact they're going straight away against the gangsters you you kind of yeah they're they're not a team to be uh, you know to go up against probably as a first choice I'd imagine anybody's uh, uh, sort of book but yeah fair play to them for going straight with them and let's hope they can have a, a decent feud that, well, it's mainly going to be weapons, I'd imagine, and blood. But even so, it will work in the East W Arena, won't it? Del? I, I purely just need to, to back up have on the Master Timber says there. I thought the, the show, it could have been conceivably kind of looked at as flat. I don't know whether it's me just kind of missing ECW for the last couple of months. I was all in on it. The, the Terry Font promo, which we've either heard or surely will hear, was brilliant. He, he, He's still got it. Um, the Dreamer video at the start I thought was brilliantly done. As I said, that drag on a wee bit, as you said, with the, the five, six minutes. But it, it built him up really well. That that match with the, the four at the end with Sabu and Van Damme and the Eliminators, I've, I've never seen anything like that. Um, um, we've had ladder matches on the show before. We've had more than a few tables in the show. Mixing it all in together, and especially with the four guys, I thought it was brilliant. Um, as if you had never had enough so far. The, I don't know what it is with Philadelphia and tag team kind of outdoor vignettes, but they just seem to nail it every time. And then the, the cherry on the cake was just Lance Thorne's haircut. Yeah, that um, that 
very... I've never seen a haircut like that with it been on a waltz or bob. It was like a, like a ra- raccoon hat, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it just reminds me you've been on the waltzers. I don't know why. Very short back <laughs> and sides, a little bit on top, and then about the top of his neck, just a complete four-inch-long ponytail. Um, that is the style, apparently. Welcome to 1997. Um, yeah, this one, yeah... It, it, it started slowly. I think they had one really good thing to fill the show with, and then a bits and pieces of everything else. We're going to talk about Tommy Rich later on the show. Um, everything else was everything else. But, yeah, that main event, we didn't see enough of it. You know, I do have a copy of it. I should probably watch the whole thing. But we didn't see enough of it to be able to properly call it a match. And plus, the part of the reason I didn't do a review is because we're reviewing another match with the same stipulation of, on CyberSlam itself. Um, although I must admit, in some respects, this one looked better. Um, but yeah, just some crazy stuff. You know, you've got to be a little bit careful with how contrived these matches can look. A little bit. Um, you know, the the bit where Sabu and Van Damme end up stood on top of the ladder just for no reason at all, just so they can do the total elimination. It, you know, you've got to have a little bit of quality control there. But otherwise, fine. Very, very entertaining match and a very good way to close the show. Tommy Dreamer has never, ever pinned me. On last week's program, they made a big deal about Tommy Dreamer's career. A video retrospective. Yet there was no footage of him beating me. Because he never has. And he never will. Tommy Dreamer, you think that this is your time. Well, Tommy Dreamer, it will never be your time. As it will never be for your mentor, for your hero. That 53-year-old man, that five-and-dime cartoon would-be legend. Terry Funk, don't you understand that all the young wrestlers look at you They point and laugh in your direction. You are old, Terry Funk. You are a has-been. And you are washed up. But what infuriates me worst of all is you're so old, you could be my father. And I hate my father. And every time I get you in a ring, I'm going to beat you. And I'm going to hit you like that old man did to me. Like that abusive bastard did to me when I was a child. My father beat me, Terry Funk. And I'm going to beat you the same way. You see, Terry Funk, it isn't enough that I want to hurt you. I want to end you. I want to end your career. I want to end your life. Because you remind me of my father and all the sadistic things he did to me. The molestation, the beatings, the divorce, the time he never spent with me. All the baseball games that all my friends went to, I never got to go to. That was the childhood I never had. Childhood, Tyler Fullington, Sandman. What kind of childhood 
does your son have? Well, a much better one since he's left you. See, I mean, I took your son. I took your wife. I took my belt back. Sandman. You don't have the guts. You don't have the... You don't have the intestinal fortitude to come back and take any of it. You can never take this from me. This will go to my grave. If you want your wife and kid, it's a different story. You're going to have to go see Stevie Richards for that. BWO. They've got your kids now. Stevie Richards. <laughs> Just like everybody else. Deserted me when I needed him the most. When I needed him the most, he decided he wanted to have his own career. He didn't want to be my lackey anymore. He didn't want to be my flunky. He decided it was time for him to become a man. Well, Stevie Richards, before you leave that nest, I'm going to give you one last chance. You come back. You come back to Raven's Nest. And almost everything will be forgiven. Raven starts the third show of the month, reminding us that Tommy Dreamer has never pinned him. He says Terry Funk is old enough to be his father, and his father beat him when he was a child, that he's going to beat Funk in the same way. He says if Salman wants to see his wife and child, they're with Stevie Richards right now. Raven offers Richards a chance to return to the nest, and almost all will be forgotten. Joey Styles, showing he has no shame whatsoever, calls Raven's win the, quote, biggest upset in American professional wrestling history when he beat Dr. Death. I'll be polite and say this show got off to a slow start. We're back in Revere, Massachusetts. No sign of New Jack, mercifully. Again, big props for getting the show out of the ECW arena. We get the full Sandman intro, like all of it. There's a seriously impressive amount of BWO shirts on so also. Eventually the match begins. Sandman grabs a ladder. Oh boy. He suplexes the ladder onto Devon. We get into the ring. Devon puts the ladder onto Sandman and does a leg drop onto it. We get a slightly contrived spot where the ladder is wobbling on the top rope. Sandman knocks Devon off the top to the outside. See Devon hitting the ladder and seesawing it into Sandman. The match finishes with possibly the greatest wrestling finish I have ever seen. Sandman extends the ladder out, climbs up it, and then grabs onto a beam running perpendicular across one side of the ring, about a metre and a half in from one of the ropes. Then kicks away the ladder. Devon's down at this point in the middle of the ring, and he's just hanging from the beam. So he, he swings forward, swings back, swings forward, swings back, swings forward, and drops a leg drop from the beam perfectly... Sandman we're talking about here for about seven or eight feet in the air and wins it with a leg drop. Pete, I'm going to stop mid-match. This was fantastic. Oh, just to see the Sandman actually nail it, you were thinking if he just started swinging like a like a normal seated swing, he just obviously fall on his back and land on Devon. But very creative. Was it was it planned? Do we think or just he just some? I can actually do this, and it worked superbly. And I bet Devon was thinking, "Jesus Christ, what's going on here?" And then suddenly, smack straight on top of him from the Sandman. 
which was an amazing in itself, um, really gave that match the, the ending it deserved in, because obviously it was a little bit of a normal standard Sandman brawl, but that finish was, uh, was spectacular. You're quite right. No. Brilliant. Um, anybody that says the Sandman isn't an athlete, which could certainly be understood after, after that finish, they're a fucking idiot, man. That was brilliant. Um, it's probably the best. I know we kind of take the piss out of ECW sometimes for this, but for a sport and for a, a visual, it's up there with the return of Terry Funk for last year at the start of, start of 96 with the full Sandman and the trailer and the full kind of swap over the day too. It was up there with that. From oh, it was 95, wasn't it? It was a 95, might have been. I think it is. I'm forgetting we're a couple of years on there. But it, it's up there with that for me. Um, and as you say, the, the fact that it's that it's Jimmy Fillington that's doing it just makes it ridiculously better. And I mean, it's like you, you you tell somebody about this, and it sounds ludicrous that Sandman is in the rafters swinging like a a drunk trapeze artist. But if you watch it, you can't you can't help but you can't help but doff a cap to that. And the margin for error was wide. I mean, you know. It, it, you've got to time your swing right, and Sandman's a guy that's been known to tuck his, his trading leg doing leg drops, so you land on that body from that height, you do yourself some serious damage. Like, technically, the execution was almost perfect, um, and it was just ridiculous spot. It was just because the, the hard camera, and they had a hard camera for this show, so the hard camera was quite low down. So he sets the ladder up, and the top of the ladder is actually, we can't even see because there's a, a a lower part of the roof and a higher part where the ladder is. So he just climbs up and then he half disappears and they cut to the camera at ringside. He's just clinging onto this beam. And he kicks the ladder away before he even does anything. It's not like he uses the ladder as propulsion. Kicks the ladder away, he's just, you know, it would have looked like a shit spot if he ended up being able to get that right. He would have just had to drop down and do it again or not do it. And he manages to build up his own momentum and execute the perfect leg drop. And the reaction afterwards was just brilliant. Like, Styles give it the proper call. Crowd pop big. Fantastic. Anyway, we get the comments from one of the teams from Michinoku Pro. Uh, as, yeah, but forgive me, but I've forgotten the Japanese I've learnt down the years. Sasuke eventually starts speaking English. He says ECW is number one and that Michinoku Pro is going to go all over the world. We cut to another venue in Massachusetts as Scott Taylor faces Taz. I'm not saying the ring mat is past its best, but it's been taped up so many times it looks like a confetti explosion has happened. Taz wins comfortably. We then get the other three from Michinoku Pro who get interrupted by the BWO. They get given they give them BWO shirts. Shane Douglas mocks Terry Funk's prayer from last month and we hit ECW's usual pre-show video montage. We end with fan cam footage of Sabu and Taz in-ring confrontation. Seems like an odd place to do this, it's just a random house show. Locker room empties, lean by ECW standards, the footage is hard to see. We go off the air after a prolonged pull apart and a suicide dive onto the Eliminators. Del, any quick thoughts on any of that? Um, I am. I have never shied away from being a loser, Bob. As you know, I am just so excited that Kai and Ty Deluxe are coming to America. The, even just the image of DX on my TV was just so good. I've only ever read about them in Power Slam. But I am honestly so excited to see these three. Pete? Yeah, definitely. I think you have the Mexican uh, uh, Lucha, or is it uh, Extreme Lucha? We're now getting ready the for the... Uh, yeah, we're now ready for the uh, the Jap- Japanese to take over. I think it's going to be uh, some spectacle when they finally uh, get in that ring. Put it that way. 
It certainly is. And we move on to ECW CyberSlam. Dale, you can kick us off with the results. Certainly night two, Bob. We started off in the in night two of the, the CyberSlam with the Tag Team Championships. It was the Eliminators, Perry Saturn and John Cronus. And they were going up against Sabu and Rob Van Dam in their tables and ladders match. I was won by the Eliminators who retained. Chris Chetty defeated Little Guido. Stevie Richards, or Stevie... What is it they're calling him now? Hollywood Stevie? Big Stevie Cool. Big Stevie Cool. So cool. it is. I beg your pardon, Bob. Big Stevie Cool defeated Balls Mahoney. Axel Rotten beat Spike Dudley. The Dudley brothers, Bubba Ray and Devon, beat the Gangsters. Taz defeated Tracy Smothers. Semi-Main Raven and Brian Lee defeated Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer. Terry Funk later substituted for the Sandman. And in the main event, Sabu defeated Chris Candido. Yeah, a um, couple of things. Pete asked me about this a couple of days ago. Uh, one, I don't have the answer as to why Sabu was wrestling twice. It doesn't seem to be an obvious one. There were a couple of injuries ahead of this show, but I know as of the final TV before this show, they were advertising Candido and Sabu. Um, so I don't know what was missing or what happened or changed or whether that was just how it was, and it might explain why they opened with such a hot match and then closed in another Sabu one. Uh, Lance Storm was meant to be on the show, um, but he, um, I think he got caught in travel problems, or was it injury? I can't remember which one. Did he um, get caught after his hair get caught and so on? Well, that too. Agreed. It was case both. Um, but yeah, um, so Lance Storm was meant to face Taz, but he couldn't, so they subbed him with Tracy Smothers, and that's your injury report. Pete, what do you think of the show? Yeah, um, great start. Obviously, the eliminators were run down and Sabu. Can't miss there, really, can you? After the previous match they had. Then we got the usual kind of. Here comes everybody else. Um, I didn't really think Guido and Chetty was up to much. Uh, Steve Richards, I love, and I think I'm going to go on about that probably most of the night. Uh, I think it ended quite well, and I think the storyline in the Sandman, uh, sorry, in the Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer and Raven match was great. Brian Lee was a bit of a, and it was a hired gun, wasn't he? And Candido Sabu, although Candido cannot cut a promo to save his life, I don't know. I, okay. I I quite like that promo. You know, it's. it's oh, I don't like that. Oh, God, it was just too high pitched and too like it's too quick. If it just slowed it a touch, it would have been really, really good. But, but he's meant um, to be hyper, right? Isn't that the whole point? Yeah, but because he's got quite a squealy voice, he sounds like an absolute. I guess he sounds like a nutcase. which probably helps, I suppose, in, in terms of the character. But to the be fair, really he's did actually. His telephone compression's pretty spot on in all fairness. They, they yeah, all had a crack at that this month, didn't they? That, pro, that funk promo fueled about three different impressions of various boys this month. It's a homage to funk, but I think we'll go through the show. I think actually, no, I mean, hey, we, we watched Sold Out last month, so I'm saying nothing else. No, no, it was down, it was kind of bound to be downhill for there, Pete, but we struggled to. <laughs> um, how, how is BW Glasgow, Dell? Uh, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're building the brand, Bob. It's all about branding these days, so we're oh, getting brilliant. there. It's pretty much typical ECW fodder, Bob. These days, we we kind of the last couple of years we used to get that kind of wrestling match in the middle, and then the kind of hardcore main events. They seem to have kind of transitioned it a bit these days into bookends nearly. But it's you'll start off hot, you end pretty hot, in the middle there's quite a lot of dross. If we're being honest about it, but they they started off strong, they ended strong. It is a little bit worrying considering the hype that we're going into for a, a pay-per-view in a couple of months about having this kind of almost all filler, little killer. But um, they've they done well with the big matches and the fact delivers them, we're going to get a decent show. I'll, I'll let our American listeners look up the word dross in the dictionary <laughs> see what comes up on the uh, 
<laughs> Scottish impression of that. Um, yeah, no, book ended by two very good matches. Everything else in the middle was fine, but no better. And it kind of comes back to what I said a couple of months ago. Ago, we are now in the era where ECW really is just trying to work with the best they've got. There's no superstars in this in this roster anymore. There really aren't. A couple of guys that could be. Eliminators could be on a national stage, so that's probably could Sabu. But other than that, they've just got good guys that they're just trying to get the most out of. But in that sense, you know, nothing on this show disappointed, and there are a few really, really good things, including the uh, the match we get up front. We start with the promo from the Eliminators, who say they're the best tag team in the world, but they're part of Team ECW too. And those jerk-offs are going to find out all about it on Monday night. He says, let's have Tables and Ladders Part 2, the extreme rematch. So we do. It's Rob Van Damme and Sabu versus the Eliminated Saturn and Cronus for the ECW Tag Team Titles in a Tables and Ladders match. And yes, it is opening the show. Lots of respect between both teams. We start with all four shaking hands. We're going to start with actual tag team rules. We start with Van Damme and Sam with some mat wrestling. Van Damme almost gets a lovely double arm, a double arm bar, but Saturn escapes. A double tag, Cronus unnecessary, does a front flip. We're back to the mat with an arm bar on Sabu. Sabu puts in a single leg crab. Saturn breaks it up by coming off of the top. Cronus puts Sabu on the top rope, then hits a guillotine leg drop. Sabu locks in a camel clutch on Saturn. Van Damme runs the ropes about three times while hitting a lovely looking knee slide. Saturn puts Van Damme on the top rope in the middle. He then comes off of the turnbuckle and sends himself and Van Damme tumbling to the outside. Either side of a turnbuckle, Saturn and Van Damme battle over a ladder. So Cronus and Sabu take a run up and double drop kick them, um, double drop kick the ladder, sending them into the uh, onto the mat, um, onto the floor. Even I got into the fans, which wasn't really a lovely sector there. Deep into the fans, Sabu and Saturn do a half lap of the building before we return to the ringside. Van Damme hits a side kick to Cronus off of the apron. Sabu hits a triple jump moonsault onto Saturn mid ring. The ladder is in the ring. Ladder gets lent up against the ropes. Van Damme climbs three rungs and hits a moonsault before they lay Saturn on the ladder on the mat and then hit a double team, rolling frog splash and leg drop for a nice near fall and a really good crowd reaction. They put the ladder up against the turnbuckle, put Van Damme against it and then Cronus does a front flip cartwheel handspring, a back elbow for a big gasp in my best Eric Bischoff impression. Saturn and Cronus throw the ladder at Van Damme and Sabu and then drop kick it. Saturn takes a smaller ladder and just lobs it at Van Damme, which whacks him right on the forehead. That didn't look fun at all. We get the surfboard Sabu spot we saw on TV. Van Damme hits a standing moonsault, but Cronus breaks it up. Sabu goes for a somersault leg drop from the apron. He misses it and is visibly upset. The Eliminators are in control. Sabu hits a triple jump splash onto Saturn in the crowd. Saturn hits a lovely Frankensteiner on Sabu in the ring. We've largely just stopped selling. Saturn climbs onto the top uh, of the small ladder and hits a splash on Van Damme. Sabu puts Cronus on the table on the outside and hits a flip dive through it. Plays the big ladder across the second rope in the corner, puts Saturn on it and then attempts a split-legged moonsault. I'll give him points for trying, but Rob, that didn't work. Sabu springboards off of Van Damme and hits a spin kick to Saturn in the corner. There's a miscommunication between Van Damme and Sabu. Van Damme gets hit with a total elimination that's actually so bad as Saturn basically missed his low half of it. They reset that. Joey Styles tries the card by saying they said they were going to hit Van Damme with two. They hit Van Damme with the second one properly, and that's enough for the win. 
After the match, Sabu stakes both men's hands, but Van Damme refuses. Sabu urges him to do just that. The pair argue, and Van Damme leaves alone. The Eliminators raise their hand as Sabu afterwards. Dell, what do you think of this? Um, I must admit, I'm pretty much in agreement with you where I did prefer the TV version that we got, the, the table and ladders won, if you will. Um, but the work rate of this was still still off the charts. The the four of them just really work well together. There's there's kind of strange bits in this where you see like Sabu wrestle, like wrestle, wrestle, and it's kind of weird to see. Um, one of my kind of few few kind of gripes with this is that I'm just not a great fan of seeing moves on a ladder that's meant to hurt the opponent. Van Damme's quite bad for it, where he'll do a move onto the ladder, which if he'd have been on the opposite end, he would have been buckled in the floor. But when he does it to somebody else, it doesn't hurt a bit. I think that kind of kills the psychology a wee bit. But for a for a match with tables and ladders and Sabu and Van Damme and the Eliminators, you, you go what you were expecting. But it was a it was a really solid start. To it. The the first thing that I wrote my notes was this is going to be a hard act to follow. The last thing I wrote in my notes was this is going to be a hard act to follow, and I think the show struggled for it. But it was a good match in isolation. Yeah, I wonder whether they'd have been better off doing. Sabu and Candido up first. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Pete? You, you want to almost critique the match for... You mentioned the selling during the match and they started off as, as, a, as a legitimate tag team match with some mat wrestling. If you just actually look at it, and it wasn't as good as Tables 1, as we're probably calling it, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, you just take it to what it actually is. And you know, isolation, it was... Move for move, back and forth. Everyone doing all their all their spots. They can, everything was in there. Nothing was missing. I don't think from their entire repertoire of what they can do. It was a shame the total elimination rubbed up and down. I think both looked pretty poor for me actually. To be fair, the first one was pretty poor. The second one wasn't great. That was a shame because it would have been a really great way, just literally, you know, ending Rob Van Dam and also a little bit of character development for him at the end by just sort of walking off and showing what he's up to in the future. But I think Dale's right, six Sabu did some map wrestling or something to behold on there. I think it should have been, you're right, it should have put this towards the end of the show maybe, or maybe in the middle to give it a lift from maybe a drab start potentially. But in isolation, great match. Uh, really good. A very, very, very strong start. Yeah, um, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, from a, from a pure logistical point of view, we're not going to see a better opening match all year. I wouldn't have thought across any of the three. Uh, I might be laying down a bit of a marker for Di Malenko and Rey Mysterio at some point this year, I suppose. But yeah, crazy ass match. So you, you know, I think it's one of those things. If you don't like this style of match, you probably didn't like the match. It's the usual thing where there, there wasn't a great deal of selling at times. It's one of those things where the longer the match goes on, often it feels like the less selling they're actually doing, which doesn't even make sense. Like, if they were just no-selling the whole thing, it would make sense. But early doors, there's a lot of selling going on. They do map-based work and submissions. And then as the, the match increases in length, the brutality exponentially increases. All of a sudden, they're, they're able to get up and do a lot more. If you can look past that, and I generally can, it works. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch for very, very talented guys. I think the... You know, we, we saw a lot of spots in the first match that aired on TV, and I think those were very impressive. Um, but yeah, this was 
perhaps a slightly more complete match. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch the first, I suppose. But yeah, very, very impressive. Um, all four guys are really, really talented. Um, and and Dale, yeah, they're you know doing the whole thing with 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 Sabu and Van Dam, the kind of on and mm. off thing. Um, it just about works, I think. And I think everyone will take it while the the team together are so entertaining. I think so, because um, you know what you're going to get when you get these two guys in there, whether they're against each other or teaming with each other. One, there's the built-in story. We will are they on the same page? Are they not on the same page? We see the the kind of build that Taz gets later in the show. Sabu didn't get this at least at this point, but he did get that that kind of bit with Van Dam, and I thought it was very interesting seeing the crowd booing the likes of Van Dam. When you look at when you look at kind of promotions, whether it's Sean in, in New York or if it's even like a young Jericho in, in WCW, you see these guys that just seem as if they're made for getting on a poster in the next couple of years. Van Damme is as close as you're going to get to that in ECW and getting him, getting him booed, getting out and kind of showing that, kind of almost spitting the dummy at the end when he doesn't shake the hands and he just kind of shows a bit of petulance. I think there's, there's, something, to be, there's something to be made of that and I think I'm, I'm very much invested in where it's going. Pete, something dawned on me watching this match that probably should have dawned on me a long time ago. We spoke last month and we've spoken for probably the better part of two years prior to that about how ECW don't treat their world heavyweight singles titles a big deal. And I was watching this match and it finally hit me that the main title in ECW is the tag titles. And it always has been. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you base it on, on on who's been the tag team champions and and the the profile and the matches they've had. And I think you spoke about it lots of times that it doesn't really matter, and no one seems to really care about the ECW heavyweight title. But I've the Eliminators coming out and cutting that promo at the start about respect, and they're the best tag team, and they want to face the best, as it were. It kind of puts themselves out there that they are proud to be there as the ECW tag team champions, and they'll. You know they'll they'll show that with, with, with the way they perform. So I think you're right. Actually, it is, I think I can't think of any other title there that's more important. And they have devalued the heavyweight title somewhat. So this one's definitely elevated. Yeah, Dale, speak to that, and also just to the fact that is is the tag division the one division now that ECW can say hand on heart is far better than anything that WWF or WCW have got. Uh, can they write at this minute? I would say yes. Can they? probably arguably for about the last 12, maybe even 18 months, I would say so as well. Um, we talk about the, the transitional nature of ECW with people coming in and people going before you even get to know their name. There's probably been as much argument that the tag team divisions felt that as much as anybody else, but they've overcame it. The, the tag division is kind of the, the game changer for ECW where they get the, the outside videos that I spoke about earlier on with the gangsters in the hood and then before that there was the enemy in the hood now we're getting it with the Dudley brothers they get the the better matches when it comes to like that kind of style that ECW is known for the, the walking brawls are always always kind of heated with the tag teams whether it's going up to the Eagles Nest and the public enemy getting through the getting put through fans or the or the dives for the Eagles Nest, and it, it, it seems as if it's been a big focus of ECW. But ECW are renowned for playing to their audience, and I think the audience lap up that that tag division as much as anything else. And it's usually where you're going to get the get the good stories as well. Um, and this this fan damn sad uh, 
a, a stake to claim in the, the best division in the country for that division for quite a long time and I don't really see it going anywhere anytime soon, especially if you like to look at New York at the minute. Yeah, um, WCW have got it uh, when they're not involving um, one of their teams in a stunt car crash and another one in a potentially, you know, compromising situation involving a video camera with six in the backseat and all of that. <laughs> Here about all that involved, number one. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the amount of shows that we've covered that involve tag team main events, a lot. Um, a real lot. And they don't seem to be shy away from having clean wins in tag matches, which they always do in, in heavyweight title matches. I think also it just suits them that they can... You know, the public enemy is the classic example in that you can't hide a lot with a singles act. They're kind of just there. You can stick them with a manager, etc., etc. But, you know, you're going to, if they're not, they're not up to it, you're going to expose them. And, but with a tag team, you can kind of hide deficiencies. You know, the public enemy is a great example of that. The gangsters to a point. Like, you know, these two teams admittedly aren't the best examples. All four guys are really, really good. If you look at the gangsters and the Dudley boys that's coming up, you've got four guys individually that aren't that much, aren't that great. But you package them together and they're a team and they can have branding and they can have, you know, they can play off of each other and things like that. And it's like the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And ECW is a, you know, if that's what their calling card is, great. But I, you know, I, I, you know, they don't. But I'd start presenting this as their main title. Um, I think it would it would make them something different. It would be interesting to see a promotion run as a tag team first promotion. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at you think of some of the most memorable ECW matches that haven't involved imports in the last couple of years. A lot of them are tag matches. A lot of them involve Van Damme and Sabu and the Eliminators too. Anyway, we move on. Thank you. 
feet. Now, we don't have to wait for a damn pay-per-view. I've never in my life listened to doctors and folks, don't you ever compare me to a like Shawn Michaels. If you want a piece of ass work, get up here, both of you punks, and I'll kick the out of both of you. Come on. We get Joey Styles mid-ring, presumably the TV opening of the show. He introduces the Pitbulls. Styles runs scared as Pitbull 1 does his best Rick Steiner impression. One says he's ready to kick some serious franchise ass. Stop being a Shawn Michaels franchise and face me. At the Eagles Nest is franchise and uh, I've got Douglas and franchise. I meant Douglas and Francine. Uh, Douglas doesn't give a fuck about Monday Night Raw or ECW. He says they don't have to wait for the pay-per-view. Douglas, who's on crutches, dares them both to come out to the Eagles Nest. I suspect I know where this is going. They get up there and Douglas attacks them with his crutch and out come Lee and Candido to attack them. Lee hits a primetime slam on Pitbull 2 through a table. Um, Pete, I... I wonder in a in a Shane Douglas injury-free universe whether this would have been a Shane Douglas match or at least this would have been a Shane Douglas match later in the show. But dare I say, if Douglas's injury forced their hand, I think they ended up better off as a result. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was in, we wanted we do want to see the uh, Shane Douglas Pitbulls square off, but if they're going to do something with it, this was a good way of again. You mentioned tag teams again. Now you've got the Pitbulls up against the Triple Threat, which can be a combination of all. Is it Brian Lee and Candido? That now sets that up moving forward as well. So they've done a great, great job there of moving that one forward while Douglas is getting over his uh, his knee problems. Will he ever be fit to wrestle Shane Douglas without an arm or a knee? Or oh, God only knows. But he does need to get in there pretty quick before the whole Pitbulls storyline just gets forgotten in the uh, in the sands of time, doesn't it? I suppose. Yeah, and speaking of news for me to drop during the show, no, it's rude this month. Uh, interesting. Didn't really hear from him. Not sure he appeared on any shows either. Dell, what do you think? Uh, pretty much totally agree again with Pete there. Um, stole my thunder a wee bit when I was going to mention the Pitbulls coming out, but he's 100% correct. We just gave a, a very stellar kind of appraisal of the tag division and it come the Pitbulls just to kind of reinforce that point. Um, I've never shied away from just declaring my undying love for Shane Douglas. I think he's exceptional. Uh, it's nice to see him back in an environment where he's a where he's a big fish in a, a small pond, as much as that might be kind of patronising to an extent. I do believe he's where he belongs at this point in his career. Um, I'm still amazed how hot this this shit is. Um, considering the the length of time that this has been going on with with Pitbull one or Gary Wolf as we now like to call him, which just kills me inside. He should be Pitbull one and remain nameless forever, but. The, the Pitbulls and Douglas is still going. There's the full triple threat side of this coming in there. And the, just the, the kind of fab... I mean, how many how many people in a wrestling world can genuinely take offence at a kind of comparison to Shawn Michaels? But Shane Douglas is that guy. But it's, I'm, not, I'm not like him. And um, I, it, it's just good seeing the Pitbulls back together. It's nice to see them ring ready because it's been a while. And it just reinforces that point of tag divisions and stories. And as you say, I think they, they certainly want to watch. We've not been able to put Shane Douglas in a match. I think you're probably right. They did get the better option here. Yeah, I uh, I, I suspect that um, Shawn Michaels is not on Shane Douglas's Christmas card list. Let's say that. Um, but yeah, Pete, were you going to say something? Yeah, was the reference to 
stop being Shawn Michaels, the fact that he's not, his injury is not able to perform. No, because... well, no, in that really between the lines that Shawn Michaels is running scared of Bret Hart slash Sid and Shane Douglas is running scared of the Pitbulls. Ah, uh, right, because obviously didn't Shawn Michaels give over the Intercontinental title to, to Shane Douglas when he was uh, injured, wasn't he? So he can't be that upset with Shawn Michaels, surely. Uh, I think there's other things going on there. But it's we layers upon layers upon layers. Yeah. Would that be the click, the click by any chance, I would suggest? Is that right? It might be. It might be. Let's say that. Uh, yes, anyway, I very much enjoyed this segment. As, as I say, um, it works as a TV angle. I don't know they wouldn't have done this had Douglas have been fit, but it, it kind of thing. It was a bit obvious, but sometimes you just go down the obvious route and screw it. You know, the, the point was, was that Candido and Lee were hidden away, so when Douglas called them up there, it was like, oh, was there any one guy up there? And then obviously they, they, they walked to their own fate. Um, but that worked really well. A very good use of Candido and Lee. A very good use of everybody, really, full stop. Um, moving on to a significantly better use, a significantly inferior use of people, as out comes Tommy Rich in double denim, come, uh, alongside little Guido. Rich says his great-grandfather lived in Philadelphia, but the mafia drove him out. He says the family called him and said Guido needed some help. This is a car crash of a promo. Uh, there's a you suck dick chat, but it seems to be... Uh, it seems to be the idea that they're going to get Rich as Guido's manager. Um, Pete, this was dreadful. I think you could barely hear um, Tommy Rich throughout most of it, apart from the crowd telling him to suck his own dick, which was interesting. Um, yeah, where did he where did he come from? Um, he, he he backed up that I think Little Guido was the most the most handsome man in all of wrestling, which is a bit of a weird thing to say about kind of the guy you're managing. But there we go. I didn't. Didn't get it. The crowd shat all over it immediately, which is probably quite right. And it does nothing for little Guido and nothing for really. Del, where did this hatred for Tommy Rich come from? I mean, I don't mind him. I mean, he's he's from a bygone era. I'll give you that. He's been in better shape. I'll give you that. But I mean, he got heat. I mean, Chris Chetty or Little Guido weren't going to get any. I mean, yeah. there is the argument that he got a bit too much and he never really gave any to Chetty, but to be fair, at the end of this, I, I couldn't really tell you much about that part for Tommy Rich. Uh, was... Yeah, but I mean, the whole promo was just bollocks. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it's what, like, ECW are very, very good sometimes at layering a story that takes a while. This was... We've got two minutes. We've got to come up with a completely tr- contrived story from scratch as to why we're going to crowbar Tommy Rich alongside <laughs> Little Guido. As the Rich cuts his promo, and it's not believable in the... It, it sounds like bollocks. Like they, they put like 60 seconds of thought into this promo for a two-minute-long promo. There was no thought about any of it. And he cuts his promo. Nobody buys it. Everyone knows it's shit. And it's like, oh... Tommy Rich is going to be a manager now. Okay. Um, God, he got there. Oh, he didn't get worse. He didn't get much better. Anyway, on to the match. Little Guido with Tommy Rich against Chris Chetty. Guido gets a backslide. Chetty hits a nice Frankensteiner. Rich is getting involved already with the ref distracted. Rich chops Chetty on the guardrail. Guido hits a pair of scoop slams and a knee to the head. Guido counters a Frankensteiner with a powerbomb. 
Rich convinces Guido to go to the top rope. Guido misses with a knee drop and Chetty rolls up Guido for the three. Rich doesn't look impressed. The pair argue as Chetty high-fives with fans around ringside. Fans chant, fuck him up, Guido, fuck him up, which is probably a good assignment any of how well the angle went. Rich says, fuck every one of you to the fans as he and uh, Guido embrace. Pete? Oh dear. Um, <laughs> this was just a match that was there. I'm surprised they didn't actually um, big up uh, Chetty as being um, one of the trainees at the House of Hardcore, because he's, he's one of the main the guys who's come through, isn't he? They didn't even mention that here, that's where he's come from at this point. Obviously, they won't mention that he's... Joe Styles left it on commentary, didn't he? I don't think he did, did he? I didn't hear him say... Did he mention that? I might have missed that. Yeah, I think it was briefly mentioned, but dare I say, oh, right. that's probably spoiled it. <laughs> I'll blame Tommy Richardson. Um, nothing. I think Dale's probably right, actually. I might have to backtrack a little bit. The only thing you could probably take out of it was Tommy Rich was fucked over at the start and then at the end also, and the match didn't really do a great deal for anybody, so I think I'll leave it there. Dale? Um, I it, it's going to be short and not very sweet. There wasn't much to it, as I say. That it's I'm not going to go full into defence. sold out for the last month because this is pretty indefensible. But it, it says a lot when you're in 1997. You had a good. There must have been a good five or six minute match, and the, the most you can get out of it is an outside Tommy Rich talking. That that's about the most it. Uh, Guido's wrestling style annoys me. Guido is like five foot seven and he wrestles like he's six foot four. And, I, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying that he needs to try and emulate Rey Mysterio. I'm not saying he needs to try and emulate that Mexican high flying style. Just because you're short doesn't mean you have to fly around. But he he works like a big guy. He's quite methodical. He tries to hit power moves. He doesn't leave his feet all of that much. And Dale just, you know, I've seen a lot of him, but that that annoyed me more. That annoyed me about 30% as much as Tommy Rich did. Is this not part of the gimmick, though? Is that not his gimmick? Just, he's, just Napole- say that. he's Napoleonic. He, he thinks yeah. in his head he's a full-blooded Italian. I mean, for fuck's sake, he's knocked about with J.T. Smith for long enough who thought he was Dean Martin. I mean, that, that's part of Guido's, Guido's stick when he goes out there, he thinks he's a giant, he thinks he's the biggest guy in the room surely that's his, that's his turn uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't work but, I mean, none of, none of this works well, I never said that was good, I just said that's the logic <laughs> but, but, but it, it annoys me more than it gets him over, Pete, I guess is my point I don't think he's ever going to get over in that sense and, and not with Tommy Rich by his side, sorry Dale I don't think it's going to work but I think um, he's quite a muscular for a little guy isn't he, he's, he's quite well sort of put together in that sense so maybe there is something in his future with a slightly different side to him maybe maybe he could do a different um, take on himself but I don't think he's going to be this high-flying top rope guy that probably maybe he should be I think he's got a different uh, act to fulfill but maybe he's just this little Dom isn't he little mafia Dom that's going to run around and try and beat people up I suppose that's, that's him maybe Next up is Bull Mahoney versus Big Stevie Call with the blue guy Hollywood Nova, who they're now calling 7-Eleven. Stevie holds up a sign that says, Stevie is the master and ruler of the world. Match begins, Richards grabs his testicles as Mahoney encourages the fans to chant balls. Richards counters by starting the BWO chant. Richards hits a hip toss and a nice drop kick. Fans get distracted by something in the aisleway. It's not clear what. Meanwhile, Meanie flashes the fans. 
Richards is working the arm with a Fujiwara armbar. Richards hits a crossbody for a two and then goes back to the arm. Richards aborts a ten punch, turns around and rubs his ass in Balls' face. Balls hits a clothesline and gains a footing in the match. Fans are chanting balls every time he lands a shot, a la Hack Myers. Also chanting nuts every time his opponent starts, which is quite nice. Fans chant balls, balls, balls at one point. You really can't make this up. Balls has a nice standing cover into a leg drop. Richards comes off with a second rope with a drop kick for a two. Balls hits an atomic drop of sorts as Richards rides around in pain. Balls does his best Jeff Jarrett strut and finishes by pointing, well, it's Balls. Balls goes to the top, misses a leg drop. Richards hits a stunner, I think, onto Balls. Balls then hits a fallaway slam. Stevie slips out of a powerbomb, then kicks Balls in the, well, Balls. Stevie then hits the super kick and gets the win. After the match, a woman in a BWO shirt jumps in the ring and tries to get close to Stevie. Well, who wouldn't? I've got in my notes. That seems unplanned as she's quickly dealt with, although she does try to pull Stevie's jean shorts off. Del? Funnily enough, Mr. Richards carried this. Um, I've not seen much of Balls Mahoney. I hadn't even seen his um, his ring gear to this. To this start. I'd actually seen the hardcore TV before I seen the live show. What the fuck is that entrance gear? Oh, but it looks like mine's when Scott Steiner came back. You know, that was the last one, so it might have been in the, might have been in the tail end of '96 when he came back out with the leather cap and balls. Is just like if you can imagine such a thing as Scott Steiner getting blown up even more at his balls. Um, again, it, you get these matches in the middle, but there isn't really much. There isn't much there. I mean, Stevie's really came on for the last time. I for the last time I seen him, he was doing pretty well with Raven. But for I've been a, for I've been away for the last couple of months. Stevie's just on a another level these days. Um, I can't even really see Balls Mahoney coming in much, but he's, he's decent. I mean, he he moves a bit all right for a big guy. He looks all right. He's got a bit of power there. But I mean, it was passable. But Stevie definitely carried it. Hey. Yeah, the match wasn't complete balls, if I'm honest. I think I quite I quite liked uh, Balls Mahoney. I think he did a decent job. Stevie is Stevie. I think it does make a good point there. He has come on so much and he did carry carry the match. I quite like the um, the uh, arse and the face uh, at the, on the turnbuckle. And then that great clothesline. Short, is it like a short arm, almost Jake Roberts clothesline for Balls Mahoney was a, a, probably the best spot in the whole match. Well, that was really, really good. Um but Stevie is is what he is. He's I think he's he's carrying the BWO clearly. He he's destined for for much bigger and better things, hopefully in his in his future. And Balls Mahoney's got that little sort of undercard feel to him. You know, probably going to be a walk around and brawl, I'd imagine, with likes of the Axel Rotten, etc. But no, I think it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It was it was okay. I quite enjoyed it. It was okay. Yeah, part of, Balls is part of the next generation of ECW acts that are good and they're promising, but they're not ready. Which, to an extent, you know, ECW done really, really well to get this far with, you know, <laughs> that, that that run in the middle of '95 where they probably had the three best wrestlers in North America running around in there. This little kind of Philadelphia-based promotion was insane. But this is the this is the new normal now. And that's not a shot, at Balls Mahoney. I thought he looked quite good here, in all honesty. Um, you know, and the, the Hack Myers scene will help him to begin with. Um, but yeah, just to repeat the praise of Stevie Richards, who is a, a, a far better worker than his somewhat comedy spot get, you know, gives off. Um, 
and as the leader of the BWO, I mean, again, we talk about ECW packaging acts well. Blue Mini means nothing on his own. Only, you know, Supernova means nothing on his own. You put him with Richards and they mean something. Even if they're just accompanying acts, even if they're just fodder. Um, it's packaging guys up that aren't worth a lot on their own. And Richards is, let's be clear. But even then, I think Richards is over because of his comedic timing as much as... I don't know how over Richards would be if you presented him as a serious wrestler. But he's now at the point where, one, he's over in front of this crowd for this BWO act. But he's now getting to the point where he might be able to get over in a bigger spot. I and mean, we're talking about Richards being the third wheel in a match with Sandman and Terry Funk at the pay-per-view. That's something. Even if he is just there as the work rate, that's still something. And it doesn't it doesn't feel ridiculously out of place. I feel like Richards and Raven is more likely than Sandman and Raven. And ECW are digging their own grave. They put Sandman and Raven on pay-per-view. Um, but yeah, yeah, Richards is good. Balls was okay. The bit at the end was a bit weird with the woman. That just happened. That was there. All right, move on. Two Axel Rotten versus Spike Dudley. Spike hits the ring post with a chair. Okay. We start on the outside and Axel mocks Spike's outlandish walk. Axel drops a pair of drop kicks in the mid ring. Spike hits a rolling plancher off of the apron. He then hits a big dive off the top to the outside. Spike comes off the top and Axel just wipes him out midair with a clothesline. Spike hits a bulldog running up the turnbuckle. Bubba and Devon come out. Spike fights them off, but Axel hits a powerbomb flapjack for the three. Pete, quick thoughts on this? I think it's just set up for what comes next, wasn't it, really, when the, the, the uh, Dudley boys came out? That's what it was there for, I think, wasn't it, really? No. Pretty much. If they're going to go, if they're going to be going rogue with, with Bubba and Devon, I can easily see that Spike Dudley being as much an anti-hero as Mikey Whipwreck. He's just made for getting through it, and it could be a bump machine for bigger guys. Now, I think they'll love that. Yeah, um, and in the sense that as good as Mikey was, Mikey's probably about 100 pounds heavier, or it yeah, feels like it. He's a big guy. Um, Spike Dudley, you might not be 100 pounds soaking wet. Um, you know, that, yeah, yeah. Exactly that, really. Spike is a guy that can make other people look good. They can get thrown around, and providing he's willing to take the bumps, I think there's always going to be a spot for him. Anyway, as we say, this kind of led on. After the match, Bubba hits a ludicrous release powerbomb on Spike. He threw him upwards, basically. We get a three-man Bubba cutter, as Joey calls it, the 3D, the Dudley death drop. Here come the gangsters. We have a brawl. I wouldn't be surprised if a match starts here, although Axel did just smack Bubba over the head with a guitar. And true to form, here's the match. The Gangsters versus Bo Ray and Devon Dudley. Mustafa hits a backdrop on Bubba. Axel is still here, by the way. This might be a six-mile. I don't know if we see Spike again. New Jack hits Devon with a chair. We end up with a table in the ring in the corner. Bo Ray runs up and does the splash. He bounces off of the table. New Jack slides out. And then Bubba, as he comes back down, then goes through at the second time of asking, uh, which is quite the spot. So to cover for that, they just throw New Jack through what's left of the table. Someone, possibly a fan or someone at ringside, just hands Devon a chair. Devon then just gets a VCR from who knows where, and it's New Jack over the head with it. New Jack drops Devon across the guardrail. We're deep into the crowd, and Devon is laid on a table by the far exit. Okay. So lay Devon on a table. New Jack climbs onto the raised kind of platform area, which is immediately above the exit, essentially. Takes a huge run-up. Goes for a massive running splash. Must have jumped about... 10, 15 feet forward and possibly as many feet down. And Dell, I think he missed. It, I have actually watched that a couple of times. He did. He kind of connected, which if you want to argue means he connected, but it did look pretty pretty messy. 
Yeah, Pete? I think he headbutted him, didn't he? As opposed to probably splashing him. He sort of headbutted him, I think, first. But yeah. Yeah, massive, massive run-up and not a lot of air time, was there? No, he kind of went forwards more than he went up. Um, and yeah. yeah, let's just say New Jack's one crazy motherfucker and this did nothing to dent that reputation. It might have dented part of his body. Um, anyway, New Jack drops an elbow on Diva on the ring. Axel hits New Jack and puts Diva on onto New Jack. The ref counts two and New Jack barely gets his solder up. Mustafa nails Bo with a chair shot. New Jack hits Axel with a chair which sends him to the floor. He comes off the top straight into a bubba cutter and the Dudleys win the match. Um, Dell, this match wasn't necessarily much of anything, but between the big stage dive and a great finish, this was more noteworthy than most. That's, that's that in a nutshell. Um, it, I mean, you could argue this is just your usual kind of brawl fare that you get in, in Philly, but coming off of the, the last couple of matches that we've seen, getting the gangsters out there, that you say that... That, whatever it was for New Jack, I mean, dare I say there's probably a reason that Harley Ray stopped doing his head, but after a while when this could possibly... I, I don't happen. think this was it. I don't, I don't no, think I, Harley Ray was doing 15-foot stage dives. No, this was, this was certainly a, an argument to, to prove that, that the master of masters knew what he was doing. Um, I, I wouldn't be recommending repeating this on a regular basis, but as you say, it's, a, it's something to behold that we, we talk about all the time, and ECW, this was up there with with things that you just don't see anywhere else, and probably rightly so. As you see, that that ends with that bubba cutter. That was brilliant at the end. The, the, the kind of cameo for Axel in the middle was a bit strange, but I, I genuinely put it my notes the same as you. The Axel's still here. Um, but no, it was, it was good. I, I, I took the Axel thing sort of, you know... ECW occasionally do like to present matches that spill over into others. I like mm. the fact that Axel just hung around, got involved a little bit, and then just... Bleed, bleeding his face off, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, they got involved a bit, and they just buggered off. Like, I, I like the, the authenticity of that, Pete. I think if you, if you were watching ECW for the first time, or you were asked to, you were told to watch a, a typical tag team walk around bloody brawl. This was a great example of that, with the added bonus of... New Jack being an absolutely psychotic, you know what, and a great finish. Um, it, it really worked in that sense. I think if, you, if you've been desensitised to watching these style of matches, uh, if there wasn't that dive and that it would be just atypical walk around brawl, blood everywhere. Everyone was was bloody. My point was Mustafa for me is is nothing, is he, compared to New Jack in terms of I don't know the, the character and the, the move set and everything that he does. Not the New Jack's got. By any means, uh, a thousand and one holes in his repertoire, but Mustafa just seems to be a guy who just gets hit with a guitar and then punches people a lot. So, New Jack really does carry that team, particularly with obviously the moves he's doing to try and break his neck at any moment. But a typical, classical ECW brawl, isn't it? Isn't Mustafa the guy that stands behind the guy that's mouthing off at the brawl, uh, at, the, at the bar, that you're kind of even less sure of? Like, the one that doesn't yeah. say anything, the one that just looks really... Like, New Jack mouths off for minutes, so you can kind of get a gauge of him being a bit weird and wacky. And then Mustafa's yeah. just making noises behind it. It's like, what the fuck is that? I think for a character standpoint, that's what it's for. But again, it kind of comes back to what I talk about. I don't know that Mustafa means anything, and I don't know that New Jack means much on their own. But you put them together in this group called the Gangsters, and all of a sudden they mean more than the sum of their parts. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was a, an average walking brawl with 
a ridiculous spot in the middle. Dare I say, it was probably enhanced by the fact New Jack almost missed. It kind of added to the craziness. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about the diamond cutter. I think DDP needs to start watching ECW because my Ray Dudley in the last three or four months has really kind of taken this, you know, taken the, is it the Ace Crusher? What did it used to be called? Ace, what did Johnny Ace used to have as, as that? What was that move called, Dale? Do you remember? I've never been much a dynamic dude, Bob, so I can only really tell you. Pete, did I invent that? No, I can't. I can't. I definitely wasn't sure, to be honest with you. Sorry. Um, anyway, but I, I, I feel like Paige needs to start watching what Bob Ray Dudley is doing because he has massively innovated this move from the exploding version of, the, of the, the cutter to the tag team version of the cutter. And then this was great. New Jack just dives off the top rope. Admittedly, he's diving straight into the move. There's, you can't really change that midway through. Just kind of dives forward with a kind of, you know, a flying shoulder tackle. And Bubba just catches him into a Bubba cutter. That looked fantastic. But yeah, an average match with two ridiculously good spots make this more than worthy of a mention. We move on to Taz and Bill Alfonso versus Tracy Smothers. Taz slaps Smothers, so he returns with a takedown and Taz attempts to lock in anything. Smothers resists well until Taz hits a takedown. Smothers goes to the top with a flying forearm. He then takes him down with a sidekick. Smothers comes off of the top with a rolling elbow jaw jacker. After a couple of reversals, Taz hits a German suplex, then a T-bone suplex. Locks in the Taz mission and wins the match. Uh, Pete, very quickly, just a, a fairly basic squash match for Taz where Smothers looked impressive for the offence that he got in. Yeah, I was surprised how much he actually got in because obviously Taz came out and started slapping him about with little or no respect at all there, didn't he? And then you were thinking that Smothers would get something. But no, I think it did showcase Taz's uh, his domination, as it should do. Um, just a, a proper squash. But I think Smothers looked okay. He could potentially have some role to play, maybe, with a, in a sort of card undercard role, maybe, here. Moving forward. Dale? I, th- I think this is what they thought they were going to get with Paul Varowins, where it's like you bring in somebody with name value that Taz can kind of give a bit of offence to to an extent, but ultimately come out on top. Um, I think they've they done pretty well for this, considering that there's never going to be much going in, but it gives it just gives Taz that bit of a done up when you're, you're building to this April 13th show. Um, can I come back to what we spoke about earlier with Sabu? Sabu didn't really get that build earlier on, but Taz did here. I think that's more the reason why they probably put him back in in the main to give him that. But for what they've done with Taz here, he just continues to look strong. As, as Pete says, Smothers got a bit of a surprising amount of offence in, but it, it just builds to the builds to the next stage. And as I say, it was nice that they got somebody on a bit of name value and it actually worked this time. Yeah, I, I wonder whether Taz and Lance Storm were a bit longer and perhaps even a bit more competitive than this. This ended up as a sort of squash. But Smothers, Smothers actually probably had more of the match than Taz did. But um, yeah, it was fine. Sometimes you just throw a guy out there. You know, sometimes a squash in a in a series of even matches can stand out. You wouldn't have three or four of these on a card. But you know, when it's a, a fairly bog standard squash for a guy that's going to be a main event, you pay for you. Job well done, I think. We move on to the semi main event. It's Raven and Brian Lee versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer with Beulah. Uh, the stipulation being that if Funk pins Dree, uh, Funk pins Raven, then he'll get a shot at him at the pay per view. When we talk about that, that three way, I think that's what's planned. 
Um, obviously, Funk doesn't pin Raven here. Seems like Raven doesn't want in the ring with Funk. Due to the stipulation of the match, Raven says that he's going to give Dream the opportunity to do something that he's never done before and pin him. So he lays down. Of course, Dreamer doesn't, but it's a nice idea. So Dream just starts beating him up. Raven still on the mic calls Funk an old man and Funk tags himself in. And both men tag themselves out. We might finally start with Dreamer and Lee. Dreamer hits a DDT, goes to pin Raven and then bails out and Funk jumps in for the pin attempt, but to no avail. We're still observing tag team rules, which is almost impressive. And of course, the second I write that, we spill to the outside. Dreamer nails both with a bottle of something. We spill into the crowd, deep into the crowd. We get Raven and Funk back in the ring. Raven has the house mic and he's calling Funk an old man. Lee drives... Dreamer into a piece of guardrail that basically snaps into two. Funk grabs the mic and calls Raven an asshole. Funk signals for the spinning toehold. Styles claims Raven said he quit. I'm not sure where he got that from. That's from the uh, Joey Styles school of country bullshit, I think. The ref was dealing with Dreamer and Lee on the outside, so Lee manages to break it up, hitting Funk with a bin. He goes nuts with it. Funk keeps getting up, walking around into another shot, and Dreamer ends up lying on top of Funk to protect him. The match actually stops as Medics try to check on Funk, who's acting insane, which would probably get over, except for the fact this is kind of normal Terry Funk. Dreamer holds Funk down, and Funk gets put onto a stretcher. He gets off the stretcher, then he gets put back on it, and they take him backstage. Here's Stevie Richards, out with Laurie Fullington and Tyler, who ends up going back. Uh, I think the match has ended. Raven mocks Richards turning, uh, tuning up the band. Richards lines it up but runs straight into a prime time slam. Laurie gets a DDT from Raven. Dreamer comes back out. I suspect this match is still live again. He, Dreamer gets a prime time slam and out comes the Sandman with Tyler. Sandman cracks open a beer, then nails Lee and Raven with cane shots and a DDT. Sandman pins Raven and wins the match. I've just got fuck nose in my notes. Who cares at this point? I suppose technically that's the logic for Sandman getting the part of the shot of the show is that he pinned Raven's match, even though it is the kind of out of a WCW playbook. Sandman triumphantly leaves with Tyler. We're left with Dreamer and Richards in the ring. Dreamer helps Richards to his feet. They square off, but it seems respectful, uh, mutually respectful. Uh, Del, what do you think of this? Uh, logic's overrated is the, the first thing. I, I thought the end of this was brilliant. Um, the bit in the middle for we, we didn't really know is this over, is this still going on? It, it was just brutal. The the bit with Terry Funk and can I um can I never giving up and them kind of building him up to be this kind of middle aged Superman for he's kind of gonna battle every day and kind of finish the last the last mile with the marathon. It was brutal in the end and I thought well, that's that's actually a pretty cool end to this. And then Sandman comes out and as I said earlier on about image of the the year so far, Sandman been reunited with Tyler on his shoulders, and Tyler's got the cane, which is just beautiful as an image on TV. Um, something that I did want to mention at the start of this, and I think it's why this this story's got a lot of legs. In the last, well, kind of six, twelve months, WWF, you see Jose Lothario and Shawn Michaels, like the kind of elder statesman and the young guy, and they're kind of teaming up. It's shit. It doesn't work. Exactly the same way with the nature boy Jeff Jarrett when Flair's kind of try to endorse that shit. Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk nail this because you want to believe in Tommy Dreamer and you want to believe in Terry Funk and the two of them together just works that false story about Funk getting the, 
the shot at the title and then Tommy getting the chance to pin his kind of 15, 20 year rival for the for the summer camp and he's been the doggy's life and getting the chance to finally end it and he doesn't know how to do it because it would just affect his hero. I thought that story played brilliant and I say the, the end there I just thought was amazing. Similar to what you said earlier on but you'd never actually kind of linked it before with the the tag team being the main belt in ECW. I don't I don't quite understand why I've never linked this before, but Sandman with the Budweiser is just a 1990s Popeye with the spinach. And I've never noticed it before until this match. And I just thought the following was brilliant. What, what the beer gives me is power. That's it. He, he just chugs in a Budweiser. <laughs> da, 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 da. Just a swing for the rafters. And man, he's fucking, he's away to the races. He's doing trapeze for the rafters and he's coming out and winning his child. But he's unstoppable with a bud in him. I've never noticed it before. That's a good point, Pete. Yeah, I think the the match, well, when it ended, when it, not quite sure when it ended, was, looks like it was set up, obviously, to make Terry Funk look like uh, his usual never-give-up kind of slightly psychotic kind of old man who's going to just fight his way to probably his grave in the ring, pretty much. Um, I love the bit at the start when Dreamer obviously didn't want to take the easy pin and looked so pissed off that he couldn't pin, had to go and tag in Funk and he dived in for the bit. That was really good. They could have a bit more of that maybe throughout the match when Dreamer had a few more chances to pin Raven maybe and then obviously he can't because obviously that would completely ruin Funks. That was something they could have done a bit more potentially for me. But the ending in terms of storyline was, as Dale said, was fantastic. I mean, we had to have something end it differently other than just Terry Funk being ruled out on the stretcher to have, obviously, uh, to Dad. Laurie takes a, a, a nice DDT, which ends that kind of relationship. It set up a lot of loose ends and it's also now moving it forward again. So big ticks all around for me. Dale, we know why and I appreciate your admiration for the the visual but does the whole thing with Sandman, Tyler and Laurie not seem a bit abrupt? Of course it does. Um, I see the first the first words that I said to you is fuck logic, it's overrated. And it's kinda similar to a lot of things you get in ECW where they do things incredibly well but they almost seem to catch themselves at these these kind of times where they think they can get away with stuff. I mean just go back to to Rick Rude in the mask last month. I mean, there's these things that you could just drive, drive a, a drive a sixteen wheel truck through. But if if it works, they get away with it. It's like Sandman's leg drop through the rafters. If it works, he gets away with it. It worked, he got away with it. Sandman and Tyler. For about the the last months and months and months, the Sandman been doing and his knees crying and it it just for a moment. And I don't know whether I just get caught up in the full Terry Funk situation. And for me, it just worked. And this was a moment where logic holes are certainly a plenty. But as a as a moment, I thought they did enough to get away with it, and I thought they did it very well. The storytelling in this match—I mean, the match wasn't very good. It was all right, it's fine. What do you expect from these four? Storytelling was superb. I mean, you know, very basic, but the, you know they. Uh, if this was the WWF, this would have been a bog-standard tag match. It would have ended with interference from God knows who. However, oh, it was ECW about six months ago. It probably would have as well. ECW in another realm, shape, or form. I shouldn't have ECW being above a, a, a flat dud finish. Um, but they set out with a very concrete story in mind. 
Um, and they executed it really well from Funk's never say die attitude, even when it you know he got pretty close to it. To Dreamer protect trying to protect Funk at all costs, both in not being attacked and then knowing when to try and get him out of there. From trying to stop Funk getting hurt to try and get Funk backstage, and then to the whole stuff with you know Stevie comes out almost as a distraction to fill a bit of time, and Sandman comes back out, and you know as you say, they'll fuck logic to a point. I guess the the, the wider question on the stuff with Laurie and Tyler was, in the situation they were in, and with their hands somewhat forced by the idea that the pay-per-view company said, we don't want anything to do with kids to that degree on, on, on your screen, well, the, between the option of just abruptly change the court direction or try and explain it, maybe this was just better. Maybe having no explanation at all was better than trying to come up with a shit one. Maybe just putting Tommy Rich with Little Guido would have been better than that bullshit two-minute promo trying to explain why Tommy Rich was with Little Guido, right? From that sense, it worked. From an execution standpoint, it worked. Um, this match was far more memorable because of the things they attempted. Um, and yeah, it seems like, you know, we talk about that three-way with Richards and, um, and Funk and Sandman. They're building to that really, really nicely. You know, none of them feel like great opponents, but at least it feels like three guys are getting there. They're building up this idea that Raven's only the champion because Richards keeps bailing him out, which is true. Dr. Death will... will We'll point out to that. They're building up Funk as the guy who's got on his last chance saloon. They're building to that very nicely. And Salman's just the incumbent, the guy that's there, the guy that's been feuding with Raven forever. In many ways, Salman's the least obvious choice just because he's the most different, because he's the, the one we've seen so many times. But Pete, this whole thing was just really, really well executed. And a reminder that ECW, when they get it right, can do something really, really well. Exactly right. I think when they do get this kind of storytelling and and everybody plays their part well it's 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 must see isn't it and it's it it's continued on i think the storyline's been twisting and dipping and turning but at the right time leading into their biggest show in their history uh great timing my one question i've got is what about do we think that terry funk is a chance to win the title at belly legal I think that's where they're going, isn't it, Dell? You know, I mean, <laughs> any other direction of it, you know, God help them if they go with Sandman again. And Richards and Raven is intriguing, but the Funk storyline is the only storyline, right? Um, dare I say, I might quote the Eagles here. If you pull the Queen of Diamonds, boy, she'll hurt you if she's able. But I think Terry Funk's, Terry Funk's managed to pull the Queen of Hearts out here, and I'm, I'm all in on the story. Yeah, I mean, the the reaction of that pay-per-view when Sandman wins that that three-way, imagine that, that never, <laughs> like, you know. What, what they might do with Funk and Raven, I'm not necessarily sure, but there's no chance they're not going to do that, I don't think. I mean, you can you, know, you, you can get to the other two matches. We've seen Raven and Sandman to death. You can get to Raven and Richards at another time if you want. Um, but anyway, move on to the main event. It's Chris Candido versus Sabu. Candido says, if you saw the promo he cut on Sabu last week, then good. If not, tough shit, buy a TV. I like that. Very short, <laughs> simple, to the point. Watch it or fuck off. I like that. He says, it's a bit BS that he's facing a guy who's already wrestled. Tables don't fight back, but I do. Didn't really come across in the edit that we saw, but apparently Sonny was in the eagle's nest. Uh, apparently was um, the, the, the whole... 
banter between her and the crowd, and particularly her and a few people in the crowd, did take away from the match somewhat, which probably didn't help. It didn't really come across on what we saw, but I'll, I'll pass that on. Candido misses an Enziguri. Sabu misses a crossbody from the second rope. Sabu baseball slides Candido, which sees him end up in the crowd. Sabu goes for a triple jump into the crowd, but Candido vacates the spot and launches a chair into Sabu's face. Back in the ring, Candido hits a pile driver. Fuck. Candido hits a pile driver falling backwards from the second rope. Credit where it's due. That looked very impactful and also very safe. Candido grabs the table, lays it down the aisle way and then just leaves it. Sabu throws Candido to the outside, then goes for a suicide dive that basically just smacks his face on the guardrail. That looked awful. Table gets set up in the ring. Sabu puts him on it, then sets a chair in the ring. He falls off the chair, bypasses the top rope with a leg drop and goes through the table. Problem being that uh, table hits out next to the ring. Sorry. Next to the ring, Sabu puts him on it, sets up a chair, vaults over the ropes um, and goes to the table. The problem being that Candido had already moved. We get a rare moment of rest as Candido locks in a submission on the mat. Candido hits a neck breaker. He then grabs the house mic and literally asks, are you people bored before smacking Sabu with the house mic? Sabu hits an apron suplex, sending Candido to the floor. Sabu launches a chair into Candido's face, then vaults off the chair and seamlessly hits Candido uh, and hits a Frankensteiner. That's smooth as fuck for a guy who's worked so much tonight already. Sabu goes for a springboard sidekick, but Candido catches him into a back suplex. Sabu hits a somersault body block on Candido for the first decent near fall of the match. Candido hits a hurricane runner off of the top for a two. He goes to the top. Candido knocks him onto the turnbuckle and then sets for a powerbomb from the top, but Sabu just throws him off. Sabu hits a triple jump moonsault, but Candido gets his knees up. Candido goes for a diving headbutt, but Sabu moves and Candido lands on the chair. Sabu hits a triple jump leg drop, and that's enough for the win. Candido grabs the mic. He says Sabu is a hell of a fucking wrestler without that bullshit. The, hair, the pair hug, and Sabu shows his respect in return. Del? He got his moment. Um, as, as much as I did have a bit of an issue with the start to this, and then the, the kind of matches that ensued and how they tried to follow it, it made perfect sense when you seen it at the end with Sabu getting his moment and then Candido give him that, give him the props at the end as well. Um, we've seen an amazing story, I thought, told in the last match. This one was a bit more of a, a kind of classic wrestling story, but it worked for the for the start with him kind of squaring off and the kind of one-upsmanship. The, the match didn't really need to go straight to the outside, but that Sabu triple jump. Is just worth it. Um, I thought Candido really impressed me. In this. I've not really seen a lot of him, to be honest, but I thought he did really well. How how Sabu can do this once in a night, I don't really know, but doing it twice is just ridiculous. And he done it brilliantly. Candido matched him when he needed to be reckless. He was reckless, and as you see that, that pile driver for the, for the middle rope, that could really be something special because I'd put it. I pretty much wrote it down word for word what you had, where it looked really, really bad. It looked really painful, but it looked so safe. If they could just be a wee bit smarter with the camera angles, that could really turn into something. Even the the kind of standard pile drivers in the middle, there was a bit of a twist there. He'd done them beautifully. And then that top row one was just brilliant. Um, the, the, the styles worked well together. You see Sabu wrestle, he can do it. You see Candido being a bit more reckless, he can do it. And as I say, Sabu gets Sabu gets his his moment at the end, makes up for the 
the loss there later on, and it just builds to the builds to the papers. You thought they'd done really well, really solid finish. Pete, is Sabu the most respected wrestler in CW tonight? Because everyone seems to be shaking his hand quite a lot uh, throughout the evening. Um, do, you, do you suspect I... Sabu's been being talked to by the WWF recently? And yeah. Been like, yeah, let's show him some love before he bugs sure him. actually <laughs> quite late. Come yeah, it's true. Um, I actually, I mean, I mentioned in midweek that this was probably, take away the, the opening match, was probably one of the, ma- the match of the nights for me. And I think the reason I, I say that is I think your normal... To have Savu in a main event, and obviously his second match of the night, you're thinking you're going to get the usual round of, you know, outside the ring, flying everywhere. But there was a wrestling match taking place here with Savu, and Candido more than played his part, which made the match what it was on the night. The fact that we got a, um, like, a, is it a, like a chicken wing in the middle of the match, like a submission move halfway through a Sabu match to kind of slow it down a little touch was, I think, was a quite a nice thing to, to do. I think Candido came across really well, but I think to leave it with um, Sabu getting that kind of respect for somebody in the triple threat, who's obviously, you know, a heel, um, really puts Sabu over very strongly. Um, I've, I've had running through my head, I made, I made a note, is Sabu like the uh, WS version of Savio Vega at King of the Ring, you know, putting double duty or triple duty. But the way you were going with that. Right, yeah, hang on. It wasn't, it wasn't a reference to any singers there, by the way, before you going over that one. Um, but obviously about a million times fucking better than that idiot. But I, I liked it. It was great. I was really stunned it was the main event. I didn't get essentially why it was. But actually for what it was, it actually worked. And Sabu might be the best wrestler in North America and Savio Vega might be the worst. <laughs> so I'd be reluctant to compare the two over any <laughs> shape or form. Um, God, I was wondering where you were going with that. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, this this was just a really, really good match. I mean, I, I've overdone it a bit recently with ECW being the new normal. And Candido isn't Rey Mysterio and he's not Chris Benoit, but he is pretty fucking good. And Sabu is the one world-class act that ECW have got left, I would argue, in some respects. Maybe the tag, maybe the elim- if the Eliminators are the best tag team in the world or in North America, and they might say that too. Sabu's the one guy that's 10 out of 10 at something on this roster. And he's fucking brilliant. Um, works twice in a night, works two batshit crazy matches as well. I, I think that's the only gear he knows. I talk about him going to the WWF. What would Sabu look like in the WWF? I know we had him briefly in WCW in 95, I think. I think it was the beginning of last year. I can't remember now. End of 95, something like that. Sabu was in WCW for a little bit. Never really got a chance to show what he could do. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think the, the idea that, yeah, a lot of people are showing Sabu some love at the moment. There may be something to that. I haven't read anything. I'm just speculating. This is a really fun match. Um, I think it's one of those things. Like, can, any match where the guy losing gets over in a clean losing cause is a good match in my book. And I think Candido did. It made Sabu look strong, as we spoke about. If Taz is going to get a clean win, Sabu probably needs one too, and he's doing double duty and all of that. Um, Dale, he's their MVP right now. Pretty much, you know. I mean, as I said in my in my quick review, how how somebody like Sabu can do these matches once. Is, is brilliant. How he can do it twice is even even more ridiculous. Um, the only... I dare I say he's the only guy in the world that could do a Sabu match. And as much as it's good seeing a, a young Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio's got a lot of things on his side that Sabu ain't. Rey Mysterio isn't scared up to fuck. Rey Mysterio isn't the age of Sabu. 
Ramos, I mean, Sabu's not a big guy. I mean, he is kind of big in the, the kind of average, the average kind of size of the, the population, but as a wrestler, he's not a huge guy. But dare I say, he's carrying a bit more lumber than Ray. And the fact that he can go out and do this and just do it as well as he can, MVPs are a title that goes through about quite a lot, but you cannot take it away from him, especially when a show like this tonight. The, the main thing that's got my kind of lips wet is could we possibly see a Sabu Mankind if he goes to New York? Because that would be off the charts. Oh, wow. We never, did we get that match in ECW? I, don't know. I, I was trying to think if there was a, a Sabu Cactus. I can't think it off the top of my head. Shoot me down if I'm wrong. But I cannot remember it if I did. But I'm thinking been, in the 94, but I, I feel like I remember it. There might have been some brief skirmishes. What, what wasn't sticking out in my head was I couldn't remember that oh my god moment, which was making me think, well, if I can't remember that, then it couldn't have happened, surely. But even if it did, I've clearly forgotten about it. So if we get a chance to see it again, even with the current reincarnation of the cactus, they're probably going to be a bit of tweaking to Sabu. But to be fair, what i seen of Sabu in WCW, wasn't it? I, I can't even remember if he was on a pay-per-view. I think he might have appeared at Halloween Havoc, I think. I think he might have been at the Havoc. I think it was kind of overshadowed with the, the mournful death of the giant for 40 minutes. But the, the Nitro that he was on, I can't even remember who it was, but it was his debut was on a Nitro, and it wasn't a million miles away from what you would get in Philly with Sabu, so if they if they were taking him, if they could try and kind of no rub off as many kind of chinks into that armour as they can, I think it could be pretty special, but if it doesn't hurt him, I'm just happy to see him wherever he is. Pete, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? Yeah, I think um, coming back off last month's um, uh, entry of Sold Out, this was a, a much needed uh, uplift in, in form. Great opening match the usual kind of ECW mid-card fodder, but it wasn't awful. There was nothing terrible on there. It was some, some decent enough of a watch. The last two matches were, the, the storyline of the, um, the Sandman was great, and then obviously the main event ended really well. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good good running show moving forward for them into, into April. I would give it a 6.5 out of 10. Del? Don't panic, Bob, but I would say this might even be better than sold out. Might, I don't know, but it might even be better. Um, I said at the start there was a bit of dross in the middle, which hopefully people have looked up and now understand. But um, you, you said dross earlier. <laughs> you, you, you've de-jocked the pronunciation. I know, I've, I've sold it. I've fucking sold it. I've got sold it on the plane. Um, for the opening match and for the last two, I don't think I can give us any less than a seven either with some shit in the middle. But we expect that for ECW. The, the funk story, the opening match with that tables and ladders was just something to behold. The Sandman kind of seen with Tyler and the end to that Terry Funk situation. The main event, especially the last two, as I say, overall, is thought to be at least a seven for me. Yeah, I'll go one further. Well, half further. I'll say seven and a half. I mean, this, this show is quite flat at times, but there's... There's nothing remotely bad. Like, all of the matches are at least... Well, actually, Tommy Rich. Other than Tommy <laughs> Rich, there's nothing remotely bad on this card. Um, and other than that, you've got a really good main event, a really good opening match, um, a semi-main that's really well executed. And, you know, it's kind of like the... 
it's the Flair, Ian Anderson, Kevin Green, Mongo match last year. That wasn't in my top five match of the year or top six. I can't remember exactly where it was. Because of the quality of the match. It was because of how well executed the whole, the whole story was. And this is one of those. I don't think this will be match of the year. But this was one of those where it was like, decent match, but the thing that far outweighed it was how well they executed the angle. And then you've got that batshit crazy match between the gangsters and the Dudleys in the middle. Um, with a couple of great spots there, I'll give this a seven and a half out of ten. You know, my whole life was I was growing up. I admired that Terry Funk so much. Boy, I looked, I looked up to him like oh, he was the greatest of all time. I remember when my grandfather wrestled him. It was Terry's very first match at Madison Square Garden, and my grandfather Chuck Richards had him reeling and rocking. And had Chuck not lost that match, he would have won. But I get here at ECW, and all I hear about is Terry Funk this, Terry Funk that, lifetime achievement award winner. I am Terry Funk, and I want to talk about my daddy and my brother Junior. I want to be the world champion again. I was the NWA champion in 1977. Freckles Brown fell off a bull. I don't give a rat's ass about Freckles Brown. I was the NWA champion two years ago. Where's my banquet? Where's my award? I can be the hardcore legend. I'm a hardcore legend too. I'll fall right to that table. Someone can put that table out. He can slam me on it, climb up, do some kind of big flip. I'll go right to that table. Just, well, I'll go through it. Only problem is, I have such testosterone running through my body, I got some kind of a thing on my back. And if I wanted to go through it, it would hurt and get, it would get infected. But besides that, I would do it. And those chairs, just like when Tommy Dreamer hit Raven, I'm in a cage like this. You can come and you can rock me right in the head with that chair. And I take it like a man. But you see, we get, we get this little puppy and she's on the road and carrying it. And bad word, and I, go, I just don't need it right now, but I would do it. If, anytime but right now, I promise you I would do it. And in fact... Had ECW now started calling me, no goodness, even Chris Candido, I would build myself as a hardcore legend. Because I am, the only thing is, that would be a gimmick. And no gimmicks needed, that case would be a gimmick, but I really don't need it. But the fact of the matter is, I can be the hardcore legend. You don't think I am, you... The fact of the matter is, I'm Chris Candido. You don't believe me? Come in the ring and find out, because I am the legend. And we come out... Of that, there isn't really, you know, the final TV show of the month is just highlights from CyberSlam. If you, if you don't watch CyberSlam, you're just watching the TVs. You will get to see Taz and Tracy Smothers. You will get to see the Douglas and Pitbull angle. Uh, you'll get the full rerun of the tables and ladders match, which I'd highly recommend seeing. Uh, we get a promo from Chris, Chris Gangdido. I may have confused that earlier with this one, but I'll play that before we, we, we before I just started speaking. So you've heard that. Um and then we get the we get Raven and Lee against Funk and Dreamer right up until the point where the bell rings and I'm guessing we'll see the rest of that next week. But our final discussion of the point of the month does focus on a TV show from the month, but it focuses on WWF Raw. Now obviously we've covered this extensively in in part two. We rarely do crossovers, but given this was a, a WWF show with a lot of ECW on it, and it wasn't like ECW angles, it was really ECW matches and, you know, Paul Heyman being on commentary, etc, etc, etc Now I commented on a lot, quite a lot in volume 2, so I'll, I'll kind of hang back a little here, other than to provide a bit more ECW context and focus on that But if you, if you haven't heard, essentially it was a two hour Raw, the Raw that they had to put in last minute because they'd switched to two hours, I think they've only just formally done that now, you know, that all, all the all of the roars in February were two hours. It was more kind of ad hoc. And because a lot of the crew were in Europe, 
they all see, you know, had to fill a two-hour show. Like, it would have been bad enough with a one-hour show. With two, they were really flagging. So they set up an angle the week before on Raw where Paul Heyman phones in and accepts the challenge of Jerry Lawler. And they presented ECW basically as the babyface um, invading faction held at the Manhattan Center in New York. A lot of ECW fans, a lot of ECW shirts, a lot of BWO shirts as well. Um, and they had, you know, ECW matches, none of which were very good. And as I kind of mentioned in part two, there were ECW matches, but they weren't in any way ECW style matches. The odd bit of weaponry, but we're talking kind of stairs and, and chairs and that kind of thing. Sabu did dive off the raw side, slipped a little bit onto Taz's cronies and all of that. And then as you'll hear in, in volume number two, we also had a, a, a great bickering segment between Laura and Heyman. And there's some, there's some proper heat there. Um, when, uh, when Heyman's phoning in the week before, he says, so long as you're cleared to be in the area, which is like not a, not a so subtle reference to Lawler's legal issues of the past, so long as the police will allow you into the, into the area that we're in. Um, so that all played itself out. Um, now, we, we, we are sat here, one, asking the question of what the hell the WWF got out of this. Because ECW essentially got a nationwide platform to promote their pay-per-view. Yeah. And the WWF got a bit of got fairly meaningless <laughs> filler. Yeah, that as well. Um, but from an ECW standpoint, um, cash in all you can. Oh, yeah, I don't know how much control they had. I mean, I think if, you know, I suspect it's more a case of we want you to fill these matches and they were like, okay, and these are the guidelines you've got to fill. They were like, okay. Um, but from ECW's point of view, this was a big home run, this whole thing. From, from the moment the Eliminators walked out to the big pull apart with Heyman and Lawler, I think two big thumbs up from their perspective. Absolutely nailed it. From a Philly point of view, there's a couple of bits in the middle, as you say, with Sabu almost necking himself after the the raw sign or the, the Taz Plex over the top rope that never quite worked, but if you start to finish, they pretty much nailed it. Um, you would have talked about it a lot more earlier on with WWF, so I'm purely going to focus on w- in ECW, but they, they really did have it. Even for the start, the, the fact that they didn't come down an aisle, they jumped the barrier, it's little things like that that make a difference. The, the young ring attendant been in there and then taking the total elimination, it gets over the move, it gets over the kind of the maverick kind of cavalier side of ECW. The the Polly and Polly and Jerry Lawler bat was amazing. It's like oh, Lawler just slates the BWO. It's just another rip off. Well, of what then, Jerry? Answer that, King. And it's just you, you never really see heel commentators get their comeuppance. And Paulie was just never one to shy away from it. Um, they, they got a few matches in there. As I say, I was I was more under the impression that it was maybe going to be your Paul Eel come out and maybe get a guest commentator spot, or you'll maybe see a you'll maybe see a Tommy Dreamer or something. The fact that they got as much air time as they did just nailed it for ECW. As you said, they, they never quite got into the the full Philly, if you want to call it that. But there was a bit of weaponry in there. There was a there was kind of the, the names that you would expect, whether it's a, a Taz, he comes out with a full team Taz, you get the the Eliminators coming to the start and getting the total elimination over. I think the the best bit of this could arguably be, as much as he maybe not like it, Jerry Lawler, because Jerry Lawler, whether he meant to or not, just put this over to the moon by the, the way that he acted and the way that it kind of inadvertently just made TCW superstars and I think he'll probably be cursing just how good he can be. 
sometimes because he he sold it as much as anybody apart from maybe Paul E who probably gave Vince a run for his money for being the best promoter. A, a little story from the Pro Wrestling Talks where I bring Pete in. Before the February 8th WWF Shotgun Saturday Night went on the air, fans were chanting BWO, BWO. On the satellite feed before the show, McMahon and Sonny were doing sound checks. McMahon asked Sonny to explain the BWO to him since he didn't know what the fans were chanting about. Sonny said the BWO was an ECW thing. McMahon said, really? What is it? Sonny said, it's the Blue World Order. They have this guy called the Blue Guy and he formed the Blue World Order. There's also Big Stevie Cool. That's Stevie Richards doing a diesel takeoff. There's a few more members also. McMahon said, I bet if there are, I bet there are if it's like the real thing. He seemed amused as the concept was explained to him. Just an interesting little story there. Uh, Pete, thoughts on, uh, thoughts on all of the above? Yeah, I think Paulie must have been literally rubbing his hands together with, with dollar signs, you know, in his eyes as this whole thing kind of took shape on the night because it was just a, he got everything he wanted out of it. I don't know, we, obviously you're going to use about the left side of it on the other show there, but ECW on the night, as Dell said, played an absolute blind. You got the big names out there, you got everybody over, you know, Sabu did his crazy move, Paulie and Jerry Lawler, there's a there's a feud in itself built on the night obviously the week before with the phone call and the I think it was perfect perfect but you know what is the influence of WF in there what, what is there how did well, they allow this to sort of probably get over maybe more than it should have done I guess but in a funny kind of way like if this this doesn't make any sense if it's a one and done, but if they turn it into an actual angle, the WWS benefit is they get a storyline out of it. And not that they can't have access to ECW's talent, because I said in Volume 2, they should just buy the Eliminators when they can. But they can create an angle and a story that can almost, if you like, introduce potentially four or five ECW acts that they just then sign. So... We don't know what's coming forward. Next week's Raw is from Europe, so they're not going to be on that. The interesting one will be the week after, whether anything comes from that going forward. But I think the WWF's point of view, like one and done, it makes almost no sense. ECW gained a lot, WWF gained very, very little. But if there, if the agreement was or becomes, let's turn this into a storyline, we'll allow you to promote your stuff and get your guys on TV, but with a view that after three or four months, we're going to take exclusive ownership of Eliminators, Sabu, etc., etc., a few other names. And this could be the WS way of introducing like a new batch of guys and getting them over in a way that's different to everything else. If that's the goal, then great. But at the moment, if it's just one and done, you're kind of like, what's the point? I thought it was very entertaining. Um, I doubt I was just a bit disappointed we didn't get Shane Douglas. I think that would have Shane oh Douglas in ECW oh. Shane Douglas though would have been fucking phenomenal. There was F- two there was two names that I had done that I was not expecting. One of them I seen, which I was very surprised at in the Sandman. Dare I say I had a bit of an inkling that the, that the franchise may not gain access to the to the Manhattan Centre. Um, Can you imagine him with a live mic? As much as I would have liked to have seen it, we thought there was a bit of, a bit of fire for, for Dangerously in Lawler. Douglas, I think, uh, may have had a few words to say to a certain Mr. Hickenbottom because he likes to, he likes to shoot, brother. Um, I think, I think franchise 
as much as I would have liked to see them, I think they did just about enough. As much as I would might maybe like to see a kind of an after an after show with Shane coming out, it, it would have been good to see. But I think if they ever want to establish a working relationship, they they might keep Mister Martin away from this for a little while at least. Uh, but but in, in a parallel universe, Shane Douglas was on that show, and I oh, can't Troy help was it. killing it in a parallel universe. <laughs> I can't. I'm the tone as I, well. I would have thought. I'd love to have seen a new Jack dive off the Manhattan uh, rafters into somebody, wouldn't it, to showcase uh, or, or just that scenario? Yeah, just on the outside, just, just just to really highlight what actually ECW is all about in that sense. But ECW, it would probably have to run up from MSG to be fair. Yeah, ECW could be all over WWF TV for the next six months. There's fuck all chance New Jack's being allowed on Raw. <laughs> Absolutely none. Like no. like, like Douglas can Douglas will swear live on Raw before New Jack ever gets allowed to appear. I, I I'll, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, very, very noteworthy. It was, you know, so surreal. Like 15 minutes into an episode of Monday Night Raw and it's Stevie Richards and the BWO. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? McMahon calls him Stevie Ray. Of course he does. But he's a mistake. He's a bit, he's a bit. Um, yeah, they do look alike. Um, and then... I mean, just also strange. Mikey Whitrack's out there working her. He's going to be out for a while and all of the above. Um, yeah, we do. As I kind of said in, in volume two, you know, it, it's difficult. I'm on both shows. But, like, you know, we, we didn't get New Jack doing something stupid. We didn't get a Bill Alfonso promo. And we didn't get Shane Douglas slagging off Ric Flair and or Shawn Michaels. So, in some respects, it wasn't an ECW show in the slightest. But fascinating that they got this this time just to show off and to promote their thing. And, look, like, Lorna was shooting. Like B, you should be you should be grateful that you're getting a chance to plug your pay per view on our show. That was a shoot. And Laura said it live on air and McMahon was like none the wiser. Um, you know, from WS point of view, as I say, like the, you know, in theory there's nothing to stop them just there is nothing to stop them just signing the eliminators and signing Sabu. They're only on short term ECW contracts, I believe, through until the end of the pay per view. Don't know if they want to, could take their pick. In many respects, it's like, well, do it, but you might as well know you've got it, create an angle out of it. Create an angle out of it and build up some of these names so that one ECW means more of a thing. And there's also the thought that. There was yeah, the idea that you know, on the back of that performance, Jerry Lawler could go to the ECW arena and be the biggest heel in the place. Shit. Um, that, that could be great. Like, they could do that. I mean, that would be fantastic. Dare I say he might get his wish of the ECW fans setting somebody in fire because I thought yes. he would be escaping with an uncharted crown. <laughs> what, what, what a great line. Why don't you do what you normally do and just set one of the fans on fire? What a great line from Lawless Haven. And then also, just thought, like, as I kind of said, you know, again, during Volume 2, like, I would have, I would have, if I was the WWF and there was more to this than one night, and I know Owen and Bulldog, I think we're in Europe, they certainly didn't appear on this show. I don't the Eliminators won the tag titles. Like do make a splash like that, make a big deal out of that, and then you know have you know I mean you could you could do that, and then you could send Crawford and Furnace or Furnace and Lafon back to uh, back to ECW, like something like that. But we don't know. But there's a lot of potential for crossover if both companies are willing to work together. Um, funny enough, one story that came out the observed was the ECW segments were rated slightly higher than the non ECW segments, which is interesting and a bit telling amongst other things. 
Um, but yeah, Pete, any more thoughts? I, I just thought it was a fascinating show, and anyone that I, mean, I don't think yeah. many people are exclusively listening to RCW shows. And if there's one takeaway from this show, it's watch the Sandman finish from the Debop match. If anyone exclusively listens to RCW yes. shows or just stumble upon this, I'd highly recommend watching this episode of Raw. Absolutely, it, it was a, a twenty minutes in to see this happen on Raw when normally you're looking forward to. Uh, it's just gone two hours. Was that that night went two hours? Well, well, sort of, sort of not. I mean, t- technically, all of the rules in February have been two hours, but they've all been kind of two hours making it up as we go along. As if one was a, a two-hour house show, basically, and then they they went two hours for a week, and then they went two hours for another week. I believe now it's been officially confirmed they're now two hours, but it's been very much week to week so far. I mean, you can imagine that being a two-hour show without this. What would we have watched? Oh my god! It, it would have been dying. Well, they, they probably. They probably would have put reruns on from pay-per-views. I would think they'd yeah. done that before. I think that would have been the way out. They didn't have enough crew for two hours. Definitely not. I mean, if this is going to be some sort of interprofessional sort of work together, they've definitely stolen the march on WCW with some of the talent they can potentially raid out. Like you mentioned the Eliminators. Could we see a Sabu Mankind match in the future? That's the one to look out for, maybe. You know, you wouldn't mind seeing maybe a, a Tommy Dreamer. I don't know about Sam Man and these kind of people. If it works in that environment, but... I think it's just it's just fun. Paul Lee's just just a magician, isn't he? Really, he's just somehow got someone's. He's obviously got Lawler properly rolled up, which has really made it bigger than probably it's ever going to be, and it's going to work for him massively. So, uh, Heyman's a genius. Yeah, and and just the thought that you know wherever this this could go, there are a lot of very very exciting places this could go, a lot of exciting things they could do. And also the thing that was pointing out, just to point it out, we talk about the ECW invasion. Funnily enough, it would actually you know, not that they've got a choice, but it would make more sense if they invaded WCW, given the amount of ex-ECW guys on that roster like the enemy and the you know, Malenko and Guerrero and, and Benoit and other guys like that. It might make more sense than to do that. Dale, any more thoughts? Um, I'm just looking forward to the new Jack Gold Dust match from the invasion. <laughs> The thing that filled me most with joy during this fall tours is, I mean, I know there used to be a bit of a reputation with with Elvis Aaron Presley shooting TVs. It just fills me with joy that undoubtedly north of the border, a very frustrated Jeff Parker was just launching a remote control of TV during this. So why am I watching this shit on my TV? <laughs> no, no comment. Oh, there we go. What a way to end the show. But a big thank you, Peter Kimber. Pete, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure as always. And it was about this stage during the recording where the whole connection just went to shit. So with apologies, I've had to take this in uh, in post-production. With a big thank you to Del Muir, who you can find on Twitter at Del underscore Muir, and Peter Kimber, who you can find on Twitter at pkimber1, and also listen to his modern-day wrestling podcast called Subject to Change. A reminder that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can want to say thank you for us providing insight and interesting things into your podcasting month, or if you'd like early access to shows like these, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs find a link on our website and in the podcast description reminder we've got three of the volumes for you this month volume one takes us to wcw looking at super brawl volume two to the wwf looking at in your house final four and volume number four takes our latest trip to the ufc for ufc 12 you can find more information on our website at wrestling 20 rs.com and apart from that i've been bob bamber this has been volume three of the february 1997 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast 
podcast. And until next time, goodbye.